number one song from january 1989 that is phil collins two hearts after skipping a week due to thanksgiving we are back here on cronoso with the first part of a three-part potpourri episode where we really really dig into january february and march of 1989 from the royal rumble all the way leading into wrestlemania 5 on this first part we're going to stop at primetime wrestling where we well, we take a look at Bobby the Brain Heenan and the Red Rooster big angle after Saturday night's main event fallout. Part one of the Big Boss Man versus the Hulk Hogan from MSG. Superstars, we have Reno Riggins versus the Rickin' Brawler. And Randy's Macho Man Savage versus Akeem. And then we head west to the LA Sports Arena for the Brain Brusters versus the Rockers and Haku versus the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Championship. And then here in the main event, no pun intended, we go to Milwaukee. Where the Mega Powers explode versus the Twin Towers in the main event. All that with two new voices here on Cronoso. From the PTBNN feed, Scott Criscolo stops by and gives his thoughts of the main event from the main event with Steve Bennett. And Matt Farrell breaks down the Brawler versus Riggins from Superstars. Alright guys, enough here. Let's throw it to the first Cronoso guest. Later guys. Hollywood is back. Hollywood Dave Rowland, what's up, buddy? Rockin' Rebel Ryan, what's up, brother? I'm a little hungover here on this Sunday, first weekend of December here, but uh, I'm going to cure that hangover, I think, in uh, just a little bit after we're done here, one way or another. But I'm um, doing all right. Can't complain. All right, they don't call you Hollywood for nothing there, buddy. So living up to the gimmick, I love it. That's why it's stowed upon you, Hollywood Dave Rollins. Yeah, but I'm starting to feel it. Starting to feel it, man. I'll be 44 in June, getting up there, you know? Middle-aged and crazy like Terry Funk. Before we get into this stellar rooster in Bobby Heenan from Primetime Wrestling, January 16th, 1989 episode, let me just give you a little background on here, buddy. Buddy, I went to a concert the other day. I know you you like to go to some concert. What do you think of Trans-Siberian Orchestra as a concert? Real concert or more of a show? I think that's really cool, man. I, I always want to see it. A Jersey guy, uh, Steve Brown from Trickster, actually okay. uh, does Wizards of Winter. It's like a little lesser version of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, so I want to try to get out to see him do that. Uh, he's a pretty good acquaintance of mine and a uh, really good guitar player. But yeah, how, how was it? Enjoy yourself? Yeah, I thought it was like the sports entertainment of of, of concert going, but I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was my wife's idea, and you know I never really do anything with my wife because I'm that kind of guy. Oh, she's 
So I went out, got floor tickets, and man, it was pretty electric. It was fun. A lot of lights, right? Scenery and stuff, too, that go along with it, that kind of thing. A lot of gimmicks, my man. A lot but, of gimmicks, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got I to gotta get my ass out to one way or another to, to something like that. So I'll give a two thumbs up Trans-Siberian Orchestra for you uh, Cronoso listeners there, Dave. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. But that's probably my first concert since Jesus Christ, um, like 2010, when it was like Cheap Trick. Um, <laughs> who was Cheap Trick with? Um, One of my favorite bands ever, Cheap Trick. Journey. And um, what are the sisters? Heart. Those Heart. Are those? I was at that tour. That was 2011. 2009? Okay, I thought it was yeah. you know, That's my first concert since then. Not really a concert going there, Hollywood Dave Rollins. Yeah, you got to get yourself back out there. But I mean, nowadays, man, with the prices, I, I miss Kiss's final shows. I just couldn't I afford it. Last night, right? It's astronomical. But it was the same show that I saw in 2019. It's, it, it went on hold for COVID. I okay. saw it here in New Jersey in 2019. And then it went on hold for a couple of years for COVID. So that's why it's ended now. But it was the exact same show. Like, nothing different. And I paid, I don't know. 60 bucks and they, they, they took it for 400 500 for the final uh gigs here in new york city madison square garden so um you know <laughs> i'm pretty happy that i didn't de- uh you know break the bank there and see the same show i saw in 2019 all right brother these ticket prices are real weasels just like the segment we're going to get into here Ooh. which is bobby the brain heenan on primetime wrestling with gorilla monsoon bringing a third guest host and that guest host being the red rooster dave what's going on with bobby the brain heenan and the red rooster leading into this january 16th edition of primetime wrestling well terry taylor who is the red rooster of course uh terrific terry taylor came into wwf in the summer of 88 as a face and turned on quietly turned on sam houston in a match a tag match and turned it into a heel as uh what they call him terrible terry taylor or something like that they they had some bad name terrific right now uh, terrific was the, in 93 when he came back 92 93 it was it was another one uh boy it's escaping me right now something 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 like we'll just say terrific something like terrific a scary terry Ta- taylor i believe they called him so uh all of a sudden bobby heenan's on the brother love show and brings out terry taylor and says i'm gonna i'm such a great manager that i could make this limited wrestler low card guy a star and so you knew kind of where it was going right, right from the beginning. That, you know that he he was basically burying him. You know then, mm-hmm. uh, you know the week, weeks and months go on and stuff, and he always kind of buries him in his promos and stuff, saying his limited ability and this and that. And finally, they have a match with Tito Santana on uh, Saturday Night's Main Event, in January of '89, and Heenan's mic'd up, and you could hear him, you know, uh, berating the Rooster, and you know Tito beats him. And everything. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the match, Heenan's, you know, giving it to him just like he did to Andre at WrestleMania 6. And Taylor has had enough. And, um, well, Heenan also named him the Red Rooster. I left that part out. Uh, and then um, Rooster starts slapping him around on Saturday Night's Main Event. You got your full face turn. But now we really dig deep into an angle here on Primetime Wrestling. And I was, before we, we started recording, I was trying to think of any other angles that started on primetime wrestling besides this and Mr. Perfect's face turn. And I couldn't think of another one off the top of my head. Really? That's more of a recap show, correct? Yeah. Yeah. 
the, yeah, it's a recap show, but the, a lot of the original, there was a lot of original matches. So you get stuff from Boston Garden that I wouldn't be able to see, or Maple Leaf Gardens or stuff. Oh, sure. When they'd have a Garden Madison Square Garden match on, I had already seen it because I have MSC Network. So you might go channel flipping then, or you know, go get go to the fridge or something like that. It's kind of bringing all the highlights from the regions to the to the uh, yeah broadcast page. Eventually, yeah. when they stopped recording the house shows, they just started doing. Matches from the TV tapings, dark matches. But that's the only two a- angles, this and Mr. Perk face turn, that I can think of off the top of my head. There might be one more. I'm not thinking of it. All right, Hollywood. So let's kind of just get into the crux here. Pretty much before we get to the angle, early on, Monsoon is hinting that there's an open seat here and he has invited someone. He instantly knows who it's going to be, and he's perturbed, and he's kind of off-putting to it. So they get to a point where he finally brings in the Red Rooster and Monsoon says, calls him Terry Taylor. And he goes, no, please call me the Red Rooster. Heenan gave me this this nickname, but I'm going to keep it. I was confused. Is that a slap in the face to Rooster or a slap in the face to Heenan? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, a rooster is like a vicious animal, right? It, 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 uh, like the cock of the walk or, you know, it's, 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 takes over all the hens and stuff it's okay. a stupid wrestling gimmick i mean I, I i wouldn't have come up with it but i mean i get what they're what they're trying to do i guess yeah and you um know? you know I, I i was a kid at this age and I, I have to admit it was a little over in school kids did walk around doing a, a little bit you know <laughs> slightly over you know they did they did the bushwhacker walk a lot more you know what i mean but uh it, it was slightly over you know as, as a face as, as a rooster but um yeah, not the best gimmick in the world, though. All right, but a little sidebar here. Do you believe to the notion that the rooster and Mr. Perfect were kind of set up to be the same gimmick? Henning ended up getting the perfect gimmick, and rooster kind of fell to the the wayside. It's it's very possible because it came in at the exact same time. So and they, and they kind of came up with this rooster gimmick on the fly, and they seem like right yeah. now it seems like they want to invest into Terry Taylor after kind of humbling him and whatnot. You know, they're kind of setting him up in a way to have success as a lower card guy. It's kind of what I'm taking from it coming out. Yeah, of- yeah. A lot of people in hindsight think it was just like a complete joke, but like I like I said, it was slightly over with with uh, with the kids. You know, I was in fourth grade, third grade at this time. But third, in, when I got into fourth grade, he was he was still around, and it, it was um, yeah, it was slightly. I remember we want we we painted a Greg Valentine tights red and the LJN. Put we put the red thing on his head, you know, to make him the Red Rooster and stuff. So yeah, there was some interest. All right, hey Hollywood Dave. So we kind of talked about all this. We kind of briefly talked about the segments leading up to the segment of the actual breakdown. Let's play this in the background while we kind of give this a, let's give this a listen in the background the battle, but as we talk more, about right? it a little bit here and there. All right. You got it. Why are you back? I went to the men's room. Do you mind? Went to the men's room. All that time? Takes you 20 minutes to go to the men's room. Give me a break. <laughs> Well, actually, we didn't miss you. I had to write your number that was written on the wall. So he didn't obviously go get the rooster. Yeah, we had a good time. I mean, what to go get the uh, brawler? I hope you enjoy yourself. Yeah. I enjoy yourself. You don't care if your job's in jeopardy or anything. These glasses and Bobby, I love Yeah, it's different. You think he was selling, actually, you think he's coming back with those glasses? You think he was selling some Coke in the bathroom? I won't carry you yours anymore, will I? I won't carry you either anymore. You never did. Boy, I just sparked. Maybe doing something. Here. It's unbelievable. It's all happening right here. Gorilla's so good as the in between. You, you like this stuff. Oh, what? That's why you had him as a guest. You just like to stir that. Well, it was, either, it was either him or Damien, too. Which which do you prefer? 
I, I might have it. What do you? I think a THC gummy at night. Right now, we're going to go to the event with the Bushwhackers. Well, we're back, folks, and we got plenty more excitement left. All right, here we are. We're back, Hollywood Dave, with this segment right here. Mere moment. Thriller is so good in the middle between these two. I was thinking something. Maybe I acted a little too hastily. Maybe I talked to you like I shouldn't have talked to you. Maybe you didn't need somebody shoving you around, talking to you like you were a piece of garbage. Maybe you needed a pat on the back. That's how you treated everybody. Well, some people react differently to a pat on the back than a kick in the can. Okay, I was wrong, maybe. I'm a big enough man. You were wrong? You said it came out. You, it came out of your mouth. You I said admit you, it on national television. I'm a human being. I made a mistake. Well, and since you're going to be here, God, I remember I watching you keep on. harping on me. As, fine. As a you, you go your old way, yellow couch. I'll go mine. But I love how Bobby's being vulnerable, wrong. knowing what's coming. He's trying to bring bring in sucking the rooster with yes, vulnerability. When he knows yeah. he's apology and a handshake. Uh, you two gentlemen, I think that uh, Stony City. Okay, it's over then. Oh, yeah. I like how the rooster's kind of like. I like for good. Accepting. I like I'm through nice. with you. You're through with me. Yes. I made a mistake. But he falls for it. Forget him. Forget him. Listen to Gorilla. Enough, and he apologizes. Okay. There Forget him. Okay. Oh, what? Oh, what a slap! Doing that. Doing that. Oh. Why, why would you do that? Oh, that was a uh, that was a pretty soft shot on Gorilla. On, <laughs> the only bump Gorilla ever took, besides Vader, way later in his career. Yeah. After he retired, of course. Look at this Hebenegger. I remember being like, what the hell is Lombardi doing out there? Like, of all people. Like, this is so bizarre. Unexpected. And that's really that's a cool spot there. But great urgency. Great. great yeah. Attack. Really, Terry's doing a great job selling it. Bobby's the hype man. And Bellas beat the shit out of him. This is the most fulfilling, awesome Bellas ever. Yeah. yeah. All right. In Hollywood, we're back here with a. Beat up set. Well, Bobby the Brain is alone as Gorilla's taking the back and the Rooster's taking out. Business. Business There's a rumor that uh, that cabinet well, or, or whatever that over my, Rooster got slammed my through uh, along the Howard Finger. Here on prime prime wrestling. That was in there. Really? That's you humanoids out there, and I don't even know why you deserve making that up. But I'll explain to you. I heard it on some podcast. I don't know if they were making it up or not. You think for one minute that I'm going to sit out here? On this show, Primetime Wrestling on USA Network, the show that I made famous, and let a guy like Rooster, Terry Taylor, come out here and sit here, and along with Gorilla Monsoon, make fun of me. Talk I like how he apologized to like Gorilla. Imbecile. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with the wrong kind of bird, pal. This is Bobby the Brain Heenan. What happened is Steve Lombardi, probably the toughest human being walking the streets. <laughs> is now associated with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, this man's never won a match in his life. This is a great promo. He hasn't even come yeah. close on a lot of occasions in that ring. Why? Because he's too concerned with the referees and getting disqualified. It's the same thing. The like, share he, of the money. he was trying to do that for Rooster. I to him. Now he's going to do it for another limited ability guy. Ring. You listen to me. And I love how Bobby's going up and down the card here. He's the main event. He's got the upper mid card. And now he's going to blow it from the ice. I love well, this, that. This, this like, you same thing with the Patera feud. It's, it's Bobby's feud. It's not yeah, like it's all Hogan's feuds or Hogan's feuds. You know what I mean? Ultimate Warriors feuds are his. But the Patera feud is Bobby's feud. This is Bobby's feud. Because once the feud was over, Brawler was no longer mad at Bobby. Yeah, right. Taylor, I love how he apologized to Gorilla. 
Yeah. It's a so circular space. Not too bad. Yeah. I'll have more in a little while from the host. Gorilla didn't. Uh, I thought Gorilla was going to come back next week, but he had a <laughs> something else we covered right here. Uh, yeah, but Gorilla come back the next week with a two by four and put it on the desk. And for protection in case in case anything happened, but I would have loved to have seen uh, WrestleMania Five been Gorilla and Rooster against Brawler and Heenan. Sure. You know how it had to have Vince on the mic with Jesse, but I mean, Shivani um, was or Shivani, he was there by then. But uh, that would have been really cool. I I I I would think it was probably was past was was given as an idea but gorilla maybe didn't want to do it maybe didn't maybe you know too out of shape or, or whatever so um yeah that, that that didn't happen so it was just rooster and bobby but how cool would that would have been rock and ryan gorilla and rooster thought, against heenan and, i never thought of that i would have yeah. that would have been really really cool it would have probably been like i said it was a 30 second match but it probably would have pre- made it a pretty cool spectacle for you know the go home match before the main event oh but yeah more interest to it but yeah i thought that was pretty cool yeah, when Gorilla pushed down Slick in the Garden of August of '87, when Superstar Billy Graham had a uh, uh, release a bear hug on Butch Reed, and the crowd, the Gorilla gave him one of his chops, and the crowd just popped. So I mean, he was so over. So if they put him in a match, and there was always the rumors that there was going to be Bruno and against Jesse or something because the superstars are wrestling, bickering and stuff. That 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 never happened either. But I think this one would have even been would have been better. Uh, and I think maybe that there that, that was an idea for that at, at this time, but maybe uh, Gorillas uh, would want to commentate instead. Cool. All right, Hollywood, as we get out of here, let's t- let's take a quick listen to the closing of Bobby and in the brawler as we get out of here. The race. Uh, do we get the job done, Bobby? What happened to Lombardi? Where's Steve Lombardi? He drops the fucking cigar. <laughs> I wonder how the other jobbers <laughs> felt about this. I'm going to make you some money. You never won like, nothing, did you? He didn't choose Barry Horowitz or, you, you know, Iron Mike Sharp. Iron Mike Sharp would have been, been a good Brooklyn brawler. Hamilton brawler. What if you saw a mugger mugging an old lady? What would you do? I'd help him that I'd mug him. Great line. You see, here's somebody that cares. Gorilla Monsoon is in the building. Gorilla Monsoon's in the building? Come on with me. <laughs> this, God, this is beautiful. Now they go to the beautiful. closing recruits. All right, let's let this rip as we get out of here. Hollywood Dave, great all-time theme song for TV show here. Ellie gets a nasty birthday present on the Law and Harry McGraw tomorrow at 9. And Woody Allen gets the a few uh, in love from Pokemon. Wrestling show with credits, right? Besides Saturday Night's main event. Sunday Sunday night. Night. WWF wrestling now show. Now stay tuned for Miami Vice next. Right we're we're going to go check out Miami Vice here or what? Hollywood Dave Rollins. Never big Miami Vice guy, but I may, may or may not dress that. All right, Hollywood. That is kind of the crux of what brings us to the WrestleMania 3, or excuse me, the WrestleMania 5 match. However, though, I want to add, I am a Fuji Vice guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. all right. Perfect. So that's the crux of what gets us to the match at WrestleMania 5 Hollywood. As we get out of here, any closing thoughts on this feud? Underrated uh, feud, in my opinion. After this, um, no, there's nothing much to it. The brawler pins the rooster at the garden. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, like shit. Oh, rooster, man, what's going on, brother? But uh, the match at WrestleMania 5 was short because Heenan got hurt. A warrior press slammed him after the rude match. So uh, that, that's, that's, that's why it was so short there. And it's kind of saying 
like I said before, it's Bobby's feuds because why wasn't it Brawler against Rooster? It's Bobby against Rooster, you know, at WrestleMania with Brawler, you know, jumping in at the end or whatever. And, uh, you know, when once Bobby's once the feud ended, Bobby uh, Brawler went back to just being a Steve Lombard, Brooklyn Brawler as a jobber. And uh, did it elevate Rooster? Maybe a little bit. You know what I mean? He, I can't think of any um, anything of note, really. He got hurt in his match with Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam 89, or that would have been a better match, I think. He could work her, you know. Um, it was a great highlight. It was a great highlight to a jobber and really established a guy that was add a little extra oomph to a guy on the lower card for someone to beat. You know what I mean? Very was, nice uh, guy, too, Steve Lombardi. I did uh, Tommy Fierro's store uh, here in New Jersey. Uh, me and my friend Chad hung out with him for uh, qu quite some time. We didn't hang out with him to the degree that Pat Patterson may, may or may not have, but uh, <laughs> we did hang out with him. And a very nice guy, good conversation and stuff. As I mentioned, Chet, we always uh, mimic that. When Gorilla gets hit by the stool, we always go, oh, you know, that, oh, you hear on a gorilla. So uh, if, if we bump into something, like, you know, you know we bang your knee into something, we'll let out one of those as a callback to this. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. All right, Hollywood, that was a nice bow on the uh, the ribbon of this underrated feud. And uh, we'll, I'm sure someone will, will put a, uh, a stamp of approval when they get to it at WrestleMania 5. Sounds good to me, man. And you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'm glad you had a nice time with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I got to get my ass out to one of those shows. Probably not this winter. Money's a little tight. But uh, <laughs> it seems like it always been lately. But, um, yeah, man. But uh, it's always good talking to you. And I uh, can't wait to be on the next Cronoso, dude. Check out the 24-inch podcast you in the better meantime, check. brother. We got one coming up on uh, the Survivor Series 1990. What's going to hatch, hatch out of that egg? I don't know. Uh, perhaps the Undertaker, right? Listen, yeah, the Eggman, Mark <laughs> Calloway. All right, uh, all right, Hollywood. Thanks, brother. You got it, man. Good talking to you. Up next, we have a match from the January 21st, 1989 episode of Superstars. Although this match was taped January 3rd, which was before the Rumble, it did not air till after the Rumble. We have Akeem, the African Dream, with his manager Slick, facing off against the WWF World Heavyweight Champion, Randy Macho Man Savage, and the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Now, of course, this is a rematch from the WrestleMania 4 semifinal tournament match, which Randy Savage won by DQ, and a rematch of the Saturday Night's main event match, which was Randy Savage's first televised title defense after winning that title. But something happened on the way to heaven, as Phil Collins said, and in September, the one-man gang became Akeem. And this is a much different person fighting Randy Savage now, and it will uh, be very evident in this match. And out first is Akeem as he hand jives his way down the aisle to one of the greatest theme songs ever made. Uh, he's with his manager Slick. Vince funnily says that he is skeptical of Akeem being from the deepest, darkest Africa and uh, says it's more like Chicago. As Randy's coming down the aisle, we get a couple insert stills of Miss Elizabeth's photo shoot from the WWF magazine where she's on the farm. Jesse makes some jokes about Liz being born and raised in a barn. Liz looks amazing here. Her hair's kind of pulled back. She has a great dark purple strapless dress on that matches Macho's purple and orange attire. And the match just starts with a good old-fashioned collar and elbow that becomes very un-old-fashioned un because they just kind of use it to bounce around the ring from uh, corner to corner. It's a kind of odd, odd start to the match because 
Macho's just kind of maneuvering the giant Akeem around the ring, so they're kind of going uh, strength for strength here. But then Gang catches Macho with a big forearm and begins the pantomime. So but this whole match, and I will bring it up later, between every move, Gang cannot stop his odd hand jiving, gesticulating like a combination of Dusty Rhodes, flip-flopping, flying everywhere, with Abdul the Butcher's Sudanese karate dance moves that he loves to do, and it's nonstop. And it just brings so little urgency to his offense that it really just took away from the match for me. This is an important match. It's the World Heavyweight Champion and what the fuck, dude? Like, between all moves. And he's he's so turgid and limp in his offense for this match. I'm getting ahead of myself. So because of Akeem being distracted by his own desire to wrist dance, Savage hits him with a sick galbo and then some great jabs to the gut. Savage tries to whip Akeem into the corner, but he can't. So Akeem just kind of blasts him with some forearms. Akeem whips Randy into the ropes. And we get something great from Savage here. So Savage never slows down. He flies into the ropes. And as he bounces off the ropes, he grabs the top rope. Akeem was bending over to give a backdrop, I assume. The velocity of Savage is so strong, but he grabs the top rope, so he flies off, kicks Akeem in the face, and then is pulled back towards the ropes. You don't usually see anyone else do something like this. So Randy is, like, perfectly positioned to hit and then get pulled back. He never breaks stride. Like, it it never seems predestined that this is what he's got going for. You know, there's nothing's telegraphed. And it's it's just one of those perfect nuances that Randy does that makes him the best. Savage goes for a body slam here, which doesn't make much sense at the beginning of the match. Uh, He can't get Akeem up. But uh, he just kind of pushes Akeem again. Once again, he overpowers Akeem, pushes Akeem into the corner. Akeem can't even capitalize on Savage trying to get the body slam because he just gets cornered and Savage just peppers him with punches and elbows. Savage whips Akeem across the ring and hits another sick running back elbow. Savage goes for the 10 punches in the corner. Akeem says no way, drops a reverse atomic drop, a Manhattan drop, and that takes down Savage. We get a great shot of Slick who's cheering on his man here. I love uh, a nice mic'd up slick because uh, he's always super entertaining on the outside. But of course, Gang can't take advantage of this because he does his silly hand gestures here before trying to nail an elbow drop, which misses by a country mile as the lightning quick savage bounces up and out of the way. Here even Jesse calls out the dancing that is costing Akeem this match. It's not only that, it's just his complete lack of enthusiasm to uh, to win. And he's just very laconic in this match. And then, as Gang and Savage are getting off the ring, we get a great shot here as Boss Man appears at ringside. I love it because it kind of captures him from behind to start. So, like, he's already down at ringside and it makes it really feel real. Where it's not just a cut to him walking down the aisle like it, we knew it was going to happen. So when the, the cameraman has to catch up to the action, it's just that little thing that makes everything seem more realistic and off the cuff, and I love that. It should be spontaneous, right? The cameraman should be like, oh shit, he's here, and then by the time he turns to get to the boss man, the boss man's already at ringside. Boss man's at ringside, he's bashing his baton against the steps, that always sounds really cool. And gang joins him on the outside, so you got boss man, Akeem, and Slick all on one side of the ring as Savage climbs the ropes and is screaming at them. We get a commercial as we come back, Hebner's yelling at boss man, he says, don't fuck around in this match. So we cut back to the ring. Savage turns around, and as uh, slowly as possible, Akeem is walking with his hands up in the air, ready to clobber Savage with a double axe handle. Uh, A blind man could have seen this coming. Savage turns around and is just like, all right, dude, kicks him in the gut, then nails a couple extra shots. Akeem is able to catch Savage with a King Kong Bundy-esque avalanche splash in the corner, and we cut to Liz looking on upset, (laughs) kind of her go-to look whenever you cut to her. And then here's Akeem's greatest move of the match. He hits a vicious lariat clothesline hooking his arm around savage's neck and he brings his body down to the mat as savage hits the mat throwing all his weight into the move this fucking rolls 
This is the most aggressive Akeem has been in the entire match. It's the most, like, the one-man gang of the UWF world-class and Mid-South that I grew up loving. It's awesome. Savage kicks out at two. Akeem works Savage over in the corner as Slick does a super awesome, super subtle. As Savage is backed up, Slick just reaches up. The referee's kind of looking at Boss Man saying, hey, don't fuck around with Savage when he's in the corner. Slick just reaches up and grabs Savage by the tights so Savage can't get out of the corner, giving Akeem a couple extra shots in there. Love stuff like that. This is the most damage Savage has taken in the match. It's the most fucked up he's been. He's so discombobulated here that he even throws a swing at at Hebner, the ref. So what does Akeem do here when Savage is at his most vulnerable, the most decimated he's been? Well, he walks up to Randy Savage with his arms up in the air like he's Daniel fucking LaRusso from the Karate Kid doing all this pantomiming. And then he just slowly starts working over Macho with some heavy punches that are cool. They do look heavy because it's a big dude nailing them. And just kind of puts his foot on Randy's neck and chokes him. Like, at the most vulnerable, he's still doing the fucking pantomime bullshit. We get some great turnbuckle smashes from Akeem into Savage. But this is just Savage making these look vicious and great like he always does. I love when he gets his face bashed into a turnbuckle and he just kind of hangs on the top rope with his legs up. Just fucking Savage is so good. Savage is down from the turnbuckle smashes. Akeem climbs to the second turnbuckle here, and it looks like we're going to go for a big splash. Now, the 747 is his running splash from the mat. Maybe you double that for the first turnbuckle, and that's a 1494. And then you go to the second turnbuckle, and that's a 2241 splash, or I don't know, maybe just an airplane splash from a higher altitude. Either way, he does his Abdullah the Butcher dance hands before the splash, and of course, splats to the mat. Doesn't even come close to Savage. But the crowd goes fucking wild in support of Savage, because, I mean, that move would have fucking killed him, right? So... If he had nailed that, all of my worrying about his uh, hand gestures would have been for naught because he would have fucking won the match and crushed Savage, but he did not. Savage does his sick running elbow strikes, running as fast as fuck, bouncing off, off the ropes, nailing Akeem in the head with an elbow from every side of the ring. This is fucking awesome. Grabs a handful of hair, runs with Akeem, oh, jumps over the top rope, guillotining Akeem's neck on the top rope. Akeem does not go down from this, but it doesn't matter because quick as a fucking hiccup. Savage is on the top rope again. Double axe handle sledge to the top of Akeem's head. And what do we get? In seconds again, to the top rope from the closer turnbuckle. Elbow drop beautifully. Nails Akeem. One, two. Big boss man with perfect timing. Clobbers Savage in the back, breaking up the two count. This invariably leads to the disqualification of Akeem. And costs Savage a big win because... After that, we knew it was academic, as uh, Gorilla would say. Akeem and Bossman are on the attack, and just as quickly as Bossman broke up the two, Hulk Hogan is in the ring and attacks Big Bubba. And then one big one for the one-man gang. He grabs the Bossman's nightstick and chases the bad guys right out of the ring. They got one, no interest in that. They took a big slam. They don't need a nightstick to the skull. Now, Hogan here checks on the battered macho, and he hands the nightstick right over to Liz. And then Hulk just does his thing (laughs) while the music is playing. So Savage, his friend, he checked on him, but, like, his friend still didn't get up off the mat. But he just does his Hogan ear thing as the music is blasting. Now, Savage is holding the nightstick while Hogan is obliviously getting his pump on, soaking in the adulation from the crowd who is feeding him. And Randy looks angry as shit here. And he looks like he's about to wallop Hogan with the nightstick. But just as Hogan turns, Randy turns towards Liz. And this is like perfectly timed, so Hogan did not see it. But like, was Savage turning to hide what he was doing to Hogan? Or was it just like perfect timing that he went to confer with Liz maybe? I don't really know. But it was perfect and it left a lot of ambiguity to what is happening. But you could tell Macho Man is 
bubbling over with resentment, jealousy, anger towards Hogan. Hogan goes to say, hey, what's up? And he just casually takes the baton out of Savage's hand and hands it again to Liz, not knowing that he's holding what was a loaded gun pointed at his back to Liz here. He just like says, hey, I want you to pose, Randy. Randy turns to Liz again for a quick conference, don't really know what they were saying. Jesse on commentary is attributing the almost attack to Randy's brains being a little scrambled from the nightstick nightstick attack, which kind of makes sense. Like he's like a little, just he's just pissed. Randy acquiesces to Hogan's desires to pose, and he poses in his classic LJN Randy Savage figure pose, double guns up. Savage does another quick pose to the other side of the ring. Then he just kind of gestures at Liz and he says, "All right, let's get to stepping." And they exit the ring. Randy, of course, with his classic over-the-top rope to the floor. Randy Savage will exit. Now here we get a great, awesome, subtle moment as the belt and Hogan's shirt are on the mat in the ring. So as Hogan, he snatches the belt and the shirt, and he rolls outside the ring. As soon as he gets to the floor, Savage, I think, realizes he doesn't have his belt. He turns around. Hogan's right there with the belt and the shirt. Savage snatches the belt from Hogan. As he pulls it away, he sees the shirt, grasps it, and just throws it behind him right at Hogan. In one fluid movement, he unentwines the belt and the, and the shirt, tosses the shirt like a piece of garbage over his shoulder, and it lands right in Hogan's hands. It's so perfect how it was filmed and so subtle and serendipitous how this little moment is really helps indicate the personal power dynamics of this friendship and where it's going to be heading into the very near future. Just a perfect little moment that might be an accident, but a happy accident. So as a match as a whole, this match was conflicting for me. So normally if I'm going to watch a Randy Savage match from this era, I'm going to track Randy Savage and really watch what he's doing. But it's like he's never not amazing in a wrestling match. He's always the same character. He's always a ball of energy, controlling the match, pushing the pace, being 100% believable, doing things that no one else does. This match, I've been, I was very focused on Akeem. I've been rewatching ECW, you along with the folks at Extreme Three-Way Dance here on the North-South Connection, and One Man Gang just appeared, and he reinstilled the love I used to have for One Man Gang when I was a younger person. Uh, I've been watching some of his older stuff, his world-class stuff with Bruiser Brody and uh, Mid-South stuff with Jim Duggan and the like. And for this match, I really was taken with seeing him. And I just watched the Rumble and it just, I couldn't take my eyes off how little energy he had in this match. And it just kind of took me in a different direction when I watched this match. Savage is awesome. And this is just a small piece to the story of Savage and Hogan. I guess it's kind of a big piece because things are about to happen. Big things are about to happen. But as an actual match, Akeem's performance really just kind of dragged me down. I'm not trying to be the guy who is bummed out that the guy from the other territory who joined the WWF wasn't treated the way he should have been and his character was homogenized and dumbed down for children. Listen, man, the sheep herders were fucking great in Florida being insane. I, pr- I love the fact that they got to chill out and be funny and hang out with their boys and travel the world. And the same for Gang. I mean, he wasn't even 30 yet. It just seems here at this point he is not into this character. I don't know. Maybe he was hurt. I don't know the answer to that. But his performance here was just kind of a bummer. His character is always so stupid. I do not like it. One Man Gang is one of the greatest names, gimmicks. His logo ruled. His look ruled. I do not know how they were unable to exploit that character and make it a big deal. And then eventually, just to make fun of Dusty Rhodes, this is what happens. And he's not really in the company that much longer. He's pretty sure that by uh, Mania 6, he's kind of gone. And uh, based on this performance, you can see maybe why. I don't know. Maybe this is an outlier in Akeem's run. But whatever, man. It's late 80s WWF. It's fun as fuck to watch. Everything going on around it is great. It's a short, quick match. Savage rules. But just there's nothing here 
from Akeem. Talk about wrestling a broomstick. This is wrestling a big blue and yellow broomstick that used to be pretty fucking rad. But now can't stop dancing and flailing around instead of just being the badass fucking killer he used to be. Sorry to get on a bit of a ransky about the one-man gang slash Akeem and my personal feelings about them, but uh, I'm about to get off the topic because this is my time, and my name is Rocco Martone, and I say check it out. Hello, Cronoso, North-South Connection. I am Ryan Everett, and I will be looking tonight at the January 23rd 1989 Madison Square Garden show, the main event, um, The Immortal, Hulk Hogan, and a man that I am becoming quite familiar with on this rewatch. I think four of my last five shows have covered him in one way or the other, and including this feud, The Big Boss Man, who is, you know, he debuted the summer of 88, and here we are in January of 1989, he's headlining... The biggest arena that WWF does, Madison Square Garden, against, you know, I mean, technically he was the number two man in the company at the time, but really the the top dog, Hulk Hogan. So it's quite the shine-up for him. And, you know, as we've covered, uh, this feud really started on the Brother Love show a couple months back where the boss man attacked Hulk Hogan. And then they've actually, this is already their second match at Madison Square Garden, they fought in, uh, it was the November show right after Thanksgiving, uh, that was the main event there was Hulk Hogan defeating the big boss man via countout, and that was where Hogan handcuffed boss man's opponent, sorry, Hogan handcuffed the boss man to the top rope, then clotheslined him over so Hogan, so boss man couldn't get back in, and it was an easy countout victory for Hulk, so now, at this time, it seems like what they were kind of doing was Hogan on the garden one month, and then the next month, something else, like, namely here, Randy Savage World Title Defenses. So that's a nice little uh, mix-up they could do. So in January, or sorry, in December, it's Savage versus Bad News Brown in a, not a street fight. This was actually just a regular match, but they ended up having street fights later. But anyways, so then we get to... January 23rd, 1989, and surprisingly, uh, the Garden did 14,000, still a very strong number, but down from December, they had 16,000, and the Thanksgiving, or the night after Thanksgiving, they had an official sellout, which was 19,700, so not quite a sellout, but still very strong numbers here. So the boss man gets the mid-show promo, he talks about how... He has seen that Hulk Hogan is different, and therefore he will treat him differently and deserves a harsher punishment than um, most men. And I was a little upset that, you know, I know it's not technically his music, it's more Akeem's, but at this time he was usually teaming with Akeem or just because Slick is his manager. The boss man comes out to no music. We do not get Jive Soul Brolo on this show, which was a bit upsetting, but oh well. They... Keep referencing the fact that the boss man and Slick were handcuffed last time these two met. And Olgan comes out and can't deny the pop. Still there. Definitely huge over with the crowd, as always. Um, so we start off. It starts with a lot of stalling by the boss man, he, whether or not he's going to get rid of the nightstick. And eventually he does, and then Hulk just comes at him. Well, actually, boss man 
finally gives the nightstick away while Hogan's protesting to the crowd and boss man tries to attack him, but Hulk fights right back. Punches down the boss man. Slick runs back and jumps on Hulk's back, and Hulk just runs him back into the corner like he did to uh, the Iron Sheik almost exactly five years ago to the date, actually, of Hulkamania uh, kicking off. But takes down Slick and hits a big backdrop on boss man. So then he goes into his tights and pulls out his handcuffs, which, I mean, if you've heard the... uh, his testimony, we know Hulk Hogan is packing, so I don't know about Terry Bollea, but Hulk Hogan is packing, so to be able to fit some handcuffs down there also is quite the the tight package, as you might say. Um, so he pulls out his handcuffs, though, and cuffs handcuffs Slick to the ring post on the outside. And then he comes in, clotheslines the boss man, then he runs back out, slaps Slick around a little bit more, comes back in, hits a slam, and a running flying knee, which is pretty impressive for Hulkster. And then more taunting to the Slickster. And he is really, this is Hulkster moving around a lot for him. getting in sl- come, And he's running outside to the ring and getting in Slick's phase. It's pretty pretty good. And then come back in and he keeps up the offense. It's a corner clothesline. Uh, rubs Boss Man's face against the ropes. But then Hulk makes a cardinal mistake for a veteran and puts his head down and Bossman hits a clothesline and then a very nice pile driver. And during this, Bossman goes into his own his own uh, utility belt and pulls out a pair of handcuff uh, keys and unlocks Slick. And then Bossman starts working over the Hulkster, big blows to the body. Hulk slicks or Slick chokes Hogan. Sorry, when he's hanging over the ropes. According to Ron Trongard, that the the big boss man wants to put his opponents in the cemetery, not the hospital. Uh, I don't know about that, Trangard. I think he'd probably more so want to put him in jail since that's, you know, his job. But anyways, yeah, Ron Trangard announcing is not great in this match. It's Trangard and Lord L, so we don't even get any guests. It's the, those two, is, it's rough, yeah. I mean, it's a little before Shivani came to WWF, and I think Gorilla was kind of getting sick of the wear and tear of all the house shows, so this is what we get. Um, and Hogan, or Bossman hits a spine buster, not the Bossman slam, but just the regular spine buster on Hogan for two. And Bossman keeps pounding away. But then he sets up for maybe another pile driver. It's not really clear, but Hogan back body drops him over the top rope. And Hulk is still selling on the ground. He's not he hasn't hulked up yet. But then uh Boss Man Slick grabs at Hogan and Hogan chases after him and he runs right into the ring into a boss man slam. And but it's not quite how he would eventually hit it it's still a little clunky you know hulkster's bigger than him doing it to a 200 pound job around superstars each week so he hits that and then he adds a big splash so goes covers and of course we get the hulk up the three punches the big boot which actually knocks boss man to the floor which is interesting because obviously he's not in position for the leg drop to fight on the floor boss man sends him into the ring post and Lord Alfred is sure quick to point out that 
he hit him in two places, the shoulder, which hit the ring post, and the steps, which hit his midriff. And the midriff might hurt more. So, you know, I don't think many people talked about Hulk Hogan's midriff and if he maybe had an injury there. Bossman cuffs Hogan on the outside, so now we've had our second pair of handcuffs introduced into the match. And as this is happening, Slick is distracting Dave Hebner. Uh, Lord Alfred is very, very insistent on calling them manacles and claiming that the big boss man has manacled Hulk Hogan. Uh, boss man with some, he gets some Hulk Hogan level back scratching in here. He's just scratching that back like there's no, no tomorrow. Um, eventually he tries, he whips Hogan into the corner and he comes flying in with a splash, but Hogan moves. So boss man kind of hangs himself up there. And Hogan, I guess, just now realized he's been manacled, handcuffed, and he is able to, tries looking at it at first and then just snaps them in half. Clothesline to the boss man. And this is like, it's one of those moves where he hulked up already, but he kind of gets a secondary hulk up here where boss man gets some punches. They have no effect. Big clothesline. Uh, leg drop. And doesn't cover, goes and hits another leg drop. And then he stamps the count at two. And he goes outside and grabs the nightstick. And yet another pair of handcuffs. So there are at least three pairs of handcuffs involved in this match. With, I guess, Hogan has his secret stash. Bossman and I assume Slick must have had another pair. Or maybe Bossman has a pair that he keeps on him. And then just his decorative ones that he gives to the timekeeper. I'm not sure. And then Hulk stalks after the boss man with the nightstick, but he rolls out of the ring. Uh, referee Dave, but really Earl. You know, this was at the time when Earl is assuming Dave's identity, I guess. Tries to stop him, and Hogan just tosses him across the ring, which will cause a DQ. Uh, Slick gets on the apron and just gets blasted right in the face with the nightstick, so... I mean, Slick really hadn't gotten that involved. To get hit in the head with a nightstick is a little overkill, Hogan. But, so that's the match. Hebner calls for the bell. Bossman wins by DQ. Hogan chases them to the back. And then he comes back out. And not only does he still have the nightstick with him, but he, he's also stolen Slick's hat. So, really all this proves is that the Bossman was right to accuse the Hulk Hogan of being a criminal. Here he is just stealing his manager's hat for no reason. And, of course, since it's a 1989 show, this is the end of the show, Hogan must pose. And he does to send the crowd home happy despite him losing. And, really, I mean, losing to the big boss, man, I don't know how he became number one contender, but whatever. That's another, another rant for another day, I suppose. But this is a really good match. I would definitely... Say it's right in line with their other matches. Hogan and Bossman had great feud. Uh, Bossman's really showing off all his athleticism, even for being very big at this time. There, he's announced at 350. You know, of course, Lord Alfred Hayes and Trongard call him 400 pounds a few times. I'm not sure about that, but definitely around the three and a half mark. So, really cool to see him moving as fast as he can. And Hogan, you know. A lot of people would say, oh, 1989 Hogan, that's just formula. Well, the formula works. It works for a reason. He's super over with everything he does, makes all his moves count. And this is a 
energetic little mat. You know, there's not a lot of stalling or slowdown spots, even for two big guys. I really liked it, and this feud actually does continue, and maybe next time we see it again on the Cronoso, I will catch you then. Until then, uh, I am on the Cronoso, obviously, and I'm also on the Place to Be Wrestling Network uh, with my wife, me and my wife Cindy. We do With This Ring. Give it a listen. We're talking... This year we've been going through the 1998 WWF pay-per-views and we're going to continue that up into Rock Bottom coming up soon. Uh, Anyways, yeah, that's it for now. I'll catch you next time. Bye. Cronoso listeners, thanks for joining us again. It is the Down Under Thunder and you know what? One of the great benefits of this Cronoso journey has not just been seeing the pay-per-view and main television events like Saturday night's main event, but it has been the ability for our Cronoso team to bring you segments from the weekly television shows that fill out the story more, provide greater context. And we've really seen that at its best in the journey of the mega powers. Cronoso was there at the beginning at Saturday night's main event when Hogan first came out to rescue Randy Savage from the honky tonk man of the heart foundation. Cronoso have been chronicling the journey past Macho man winning the title leading up to SummerSlam, looking at some of the, key interviews that brought the mega powers together to fight the mega bucks we've seen them battling the twin towers at survivor series and beyond and today we're going to have a little look at another piece of the story because just a week away from the main event match between the Mega Powers and the Twin Towers, we have the Mega Powers appearing on the Brother Love Show. That's right. It's the Brother Love Show on Superstars of Wrestling. And Brother Love introduces his guests as Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth. And they come out to the Macho Man's music, which is fantastic. And Brother Love is pumping the match between the Mega Powers and the Twin Towers as the greatest tag team match of all time. But he suggests that the Twin Towers may mark the downfall of the Mega Powers. And Hogan, being Hogan, straight onto the mic, He says that for the first time since Brother Love first came to WO, he's got something right. It will be the greatest tag team match of all time. But he starts running down the history of the Mega Powers and the Twin Towers. He talks about Boss Man attacking him. He talks about Boss Man attacking Macho Man. They know what what it feels like to be hit with the nightstick. Macho Man talks about how he and Hogan both know what it feels like to be attacked by a keem and feel that damage. And Brother Love decides it's time to stir the pot. He just throws his two cents in. See, Brother Love says that 
he can sense when love is in the air because he's brother love. But he can also sense when love is not in the air. And, and he suggests that the affection between the mega powers has gone. Now, it's pretty clear that Brother Love's been watching the programming. He's seen Survivor Series. He's seen Royal Rumble. He's seen the last couple of weeks of television and that things don't seem to be all good but in the Mega Powers camp. And, um, and as always, Hogan straight, he's the first one to speak. He says that the Mega Powers have the Mega Power triangle of love. He says the Macho Man and Liz have this strong love between a man and woman. When they look at each other, it stops everything. It is evident the love that they have. And then he says, I love Hogan, Elizabeth just as much as the Macho Man does, but in a different way. I love her like a sister. Now, it's really interesting to look at this, the subtlety of this. In a lot of Macho Man Hogan interviews, anytime Hogan is talking about how great they are and how good they are, Macho Man is nodding along and agreeing, and you see him agreeing with a, with a, with a lifting up and down of the head and, and maybe waving his arms in agreement. Yes, the pointing, I agree with you. When Hogan says that he loves Elizabeth, but in a different way and loves her like a sister, Macho actually steps in towards Hogan. He's just looking at him and sort of puffs his chest up a little bit. Just he, He's looking at Hogan. Now he's got his sunglasses on, so you can't see what sort of look he has on his face. But there's no nodding. There's no agreement here. Then Hogan says that he loves Macho Man like a brother. And he promises to fight with the Macho Man till his last dying breath. What greater symbol of friendship, of unity is there than to commit himself to being willing to die for the Macho Man? My goodness, Hogan is committed to the mega powers. He's all in. And then the microphone goes to the Macho Man. And Macho Man says to Brother Love, do you want to know how powerful the mega powers are? He says that the twin towers may be earthquake proof. They may be typhoon proof. And that's interesting. Uh, perhaps a little foreshadowing to some future natural disasters that may come across the WWF's path. He says the twin towers may be cyclone proof but the mega powers will be the fault line through their foundation and the twin towers will come crumbling down now macho says that it's going to be the mega powers that bring about the downfall of the twin towers but at no stage does he express affection friendship or commitment to hulk hogan he doesn't say, I will be there behind you, Hulk Hogan. I will fight beside you. I will die for you the way Hogan did. Macho Man just says, we're going to beat the Twin Towers. And I find the subtlety of the comment really good because to the crowd, to the audience, they are working together for, towards a common victory. But if you dig in just a little bit deeper, 
macho man isn't expressing that friendship anymore. He isn't expressing an affection for Hogan. He's just working to a goal. And it's just so well done. You've got to look for it because body language-wise, everything seems okay. But just the mere fact that he doesn't say something points a direction of how much a man's really feeling. Brother Love says that at the root of all evil stands a woman and then asks if Elizabeth will be more of a hurt than a help to the mega powers. And Hogan steps in again. Elizabeth is the foundation of the mega powers. She's told us how to beat the Twin Towers. And for the Twin Towers, there's going to be a whole lot of hurt because they hurt Elizabeth. Now, Macho Man starts agreeing. The head nod starts happening. The pointing starts happening. Macho agrees that the Twin Towers need to suffer for hurting Elizabeth. And the music starts. Hogan's music starts. And Hogan and Savage play to the crowd and they do the handshake. Hogan puts his hand out there and Macho responds, reaching in and, and grabbing that hand. But something just doesn't seem 100% right. As I said, it's subtle, but the foundation has been laid. Can the mega powers survive? It is clear Hogan is all in. He believes wholeheartedly in the mega powers, but Macho... Macho doesn't seem so sure anymore. He knows that the mega powers are going to beat the Twin Towers and the Twin Towers need to pay for what they did to Liz. Absolutely, they need to pay. But you almost feel Macho would be willing to do it on his own as well. He probably recognizes he needs Hogan. Can the mega powers overcome the twin towers you keep listening to this episode because in just a couple of segments time you're going to find out exactly what went down at the main event and it's going to be brilliant i'm sure you all know what's coming and you can't wait for now this is the down under thunder i've enjoyed this journey of the mega powers and i can't wait to see and hear how it is going to finally come to its downfall. Don't go anywhere, guys. Greetings, everyone. I'm a new voice here on Cronoso. Although I'm not a new person in the Place to Be Family Network, I've been listening since single-digit episodes of the Place to Be podcast. And I'm here to break down the in-ring debut of the Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi. On this episode of Superstars from January 28th, 1989. So out, out comes Lombardi, mean mugging, not wearing the ripped up Yankees shirt, but in actually really good shape. Better shape than you probably ever remember the Brawler in. Wearing his leather newsy hat and munching on his stogie. Heads of the ring led by Bobby the Brain to battle Reno Riggins. Reno hooks us up with the Shakabra, 
before he comes face to face with the brawler. Brawler takes his hat off and just slaps him right in his face. Then he proceeds to come in with punches, kicks, slaps, a body slam. At this point, we get an inset promo of the Red Rooster. And he's letting us know, hey, trust me, I trusted the brain. I ended up with stitches in my head and embarrassed on national TV. But I'm going to go through that brawler to get to you, Heenan. You can believe that. So we're all definitely fearful for Bobby's safety as a rooster. As said, he's going to get Heenan. Now, the brawler during this time, we're doing rope chokes, punches, slaps, eye gouges, more choking with his hands. You know, all the wrestling moves that are not moves. Lombardi picks up. Riggins places him on the top rope, and holy shit, top rope superplex. Did not see that coming. That's your finish. One, two, three to the center of the Tootsie Pop. And Heenan enters the ring, tells Lombardi, you're a new man. Lombardi chucks Riggins out of the ring like a sack of crap. And Jesse and Vince on commentary here are letting us know that Heenan can take anyone, build him up, make him a better superstar. And you know what? They're right, because Heenan rules. That was Lombardi's first match as the Brooklyn Brawler character. He would go on to have 185 televised matches in the WWF slash E under that gimmick. He won 12 of them. That's it, 12. Which explains why he's probably the most famous job guy if you ask people on the street. and like, So who's a dude who's on wrestling that would just lose every week? I feel like Brooklyn Brawler is going to be the winner of that poll. Of those 12 wins, four of them are local televised house shows on MSG, Nesson, and Sky. So take those out. You get eight remaining wins. And here's the crazy part. He gets two this weekend over Reno Riggins and David Stoutmeyer. A month later, he beats Mario Mancini. A month after that, Tony Durante. And then he does not win again on TV until a 2000 episode of Jacked, where he defeats Just Joe. And then in 2000 on SmackDown, he and Kai and Tai defeat Triple H in a handicap match. And then his final win on pay-per-view, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, 2012, where the brawler teams with Alberto Del Rio and The Miz and probably the weirdest team in pay-per-view history to defeat two future WWE champions, Drew McIntyre, Ginger Mahal, and Heath Slater as they defeat three-man band. His final match, when we get there in Cronoso in 30 years, he will lose in a minute 30 on the July 15th, 2013 episode of Superstars against Ryback. And hopefully I can, 72-year-old me will bring you that match on Cronoso. Well, thanks for letting me join the team. Shout out to Ryan and everybody. Uh, if you want to follow me at, on Twitter, 
It's at Feral Comedy. Feral spelled like Will Feral. No relation. And just glad to be a part of this. Thanks, guys. Cronoso Monthly on the North South Connection Podcast Network. My name is Keithy Langston, and today we're going to be looking at the matchup from the Los Angeles Sports Arena, January 29th, 1989. Of course, we're talking about the intercontinental title defense of the Ultimate Warrior, fresh off his sneak attack from Ravishing Recruit at the 1989 Royal Rumble. And his opponent is the fresh off of his, I guess, uh, certification of the kingdom of the wwf in his matchup against the former king harley race of course we were talking about the one true king king haku uh now this coming to us from the los angeles sports arena it is it was broadcast on television ron trongard and superstar billy graham doing the commentary of this match real quickly uh i wanted to give just kind of like some other matchups and some other uh what are the other three or four well the other three cards going on at that day so for the los angeles sports arena uh this was televised on the z channel uh we had sam houston uh facing against barry windham in an 18 minute and 15 second snoozer no it was a match made for prime time uh rick rude defeating brutus beefcake uh of course this is the uh matchup the intercontinental title defense andre the giant against jake the snake roberts defeating roberts by disqualification when jake apparently bringing damien into the ring the red rooster defeating dangerous danny davis uh another matchup's uh, filmed for the February 6th edition of Primetime. Greg the Hammer Valentine pinning Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard against the Rockers. And that's going to be another matchup that is showcased here on Cronosa Monthly. And uh, I would say that that probably your main event would either have been Andre the Giant or Jake, Andre the Giant versus Jake or Warrior versus Haku. Uh, especially considering that uh, the only champion on this card is the Intercontinental Champion. We also had a, we also had a card... In Dayton, Ohio, at uh, the Har Arena, where you had Scott Casey against the Brooklyn Brawler, Coco Beware against Conquistador Number One, Rick Martel against Ron Bass, the Bushwhackers versus uh, the Bolsheviks, Big John Stud versus the Boss Man, Hercules versus Ted DiBiase, where Virgil was banned by from ringside, and Randy Savage against Bad News Brown. Uh, it's kind of hard to say which is the A show, B show, C show, D show. We had, you know what? We did have four other cards. So that was the second. We had Montreal, Quebec, which was a rescheduled bout from January 6th. Uh, but this was uh, 19,500. Uh, I also want to say 8,500 in the sports arena. We don't have a. We don't have a, a, a number on the Dayton, Ohio card, but uh, the Brooklyn Brawler beating Scott Casey, Ron Bass beating Tim Horner, who was substituting for. I'm sorry, that's from another card. Jeez, look at me. I'm all over the place. Um, <clears throat> in Montreal, you had Iron Mike Sharp, Canada's favorite hero, defeating Lanny Poffo. Paul Roma defeating Jose Estrada. Akeem defeating the Blue Blazer. Bret Hart fighting the Honky Tonk Man to a double disqualification. Tito Santana fighting Mr. Perfect to a draw. The Demolition defeating the Powers of Pain. Uh, Hogan, Ronnie Gavin, and Jim Duggan defeating Dino Bravo, Jacques and Raymond. Uh, in a disqualification when Bravo refused to break a bear hug on Hogan. After the bout, 
Hogan was taken from a ringside from ringside on a stretcher, and Andre the Giant made an appearance to be body slammed by rugged Ronnie Gavin. Uh, really odd why Andre came down in a match that didn't even involve him, considering that he was also performing earlier or at that same time in Los Angeles. But Andre doing double time, double magic, you know? He 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 made that famous, not the divas. Um, so we had an Indianapolis um, a matinee. We had the Brooklyn Brawler beating Scott Casey, Ron Bass beating Tim Horner for Rick, who was a substitute for Rick Martel. The Bushwhackers again defeating the Bolsheviks. Uh, Randy, Ch- Randy Champion, <laughs> Randy Champion, the Macho Man Savage, uh, with Miss Elizabeth defeating Bad News Brown via disqualification. Uh, it says when Brown pulled the referee into Savage's way as the champion attempted the flying elbow smash. So that must have been pretty cool to see. And uh, Conquistador won. Getting his heat back, or getting his heat first, be, pinning Tony Gurria, who was a substitute for Coco Beware. Uh, Big John Studd and the Boss Man fought to a double countout, uh, which must have been amazing to see. Uh, Hercules defeating Ted DiBiase again via disqualification when Virgil interfered. That must have been why Virgil was banned from ringside at the uh, Dayton show later that day, because during the matinee in uh, Indianapolis, he got involved. So, yay for, you know, rules. Um, <clears throat> Toronto... We had the Maple Leaf Gardens. It was a matinee. Uh, Ronnie Gavin beating Raymond Rougeau to a, or fighting Raymond Rougeau to a time limit draw. Mr. Perfect pinning Chico Santana. Uh, Bret Hart fighting the Honky Tonk Man to a double countout. The Powers of Pain defeating Demolition via countout and a no disqualification match. Um, okay. The Blazer pinning Conquistador 1 with a splash off the top. Hmm. Conquistador 1 was at the Maple Leaf Gardens at a matinee. At the same time that the Conquistador one was at the Indianapolis Market Square Arena on a matinee. Hmm. Something tells me one of them's Conquistador one and the other one's Conquistador two. Hogan pinning the Akeem, the African Dream, after a body slam and a leg drop. Rockin' Robin pinning Sensational Sherry. And it looks like the main event was Rick Montel with an injured Jim Duggan, who he was substituting for, pinned Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin and a flag match after Duggan hit Bravo with the 2x4. Again, bear in mind, in Toronto, Rick Martel, who was probably using the American flag, uh, who is a Quebecer, Pindino Bravo, a Quebecer, flying a Quebecois flag in Toronto. Yeah, I guess I never understood uh, WWF in 1989, but then again, very few people do. Now, why don't we go back to the Los Angeles Sports Arena with Ron Trogard and superstar Billy Graham. We start the matchup, or at least we start the introductions. Uh, King Haku coming out. No uh, Cadillac, which I believe is the phrase that is used for uh the the thing that they carried the king and the queen out on when they would uh no cadillac no bobby heenan oddly enough ron trodgard asking if uh if the ultimate warrior defeats haku in this intercontinental title match does the ultimate warrior become the king of the wwf hmm i don't think in this case uh the question i think was asked in 1991 when he did defeat randy savage in the career winning match if the ultimate warrior was now considered the king of the company, uh, but never, obviously, never declared king. He never entered any of the king of the rings, to my knowledge. So the Ultimate Warrior, uh, not really ever getting that chance and that opportunity to defend his crown or defend his kingdom. But, of course, the Warrior comes out. He's announced as the champion. He's announced after. Haku uh, runs down to the ring, doing poses on the on the turnbuckle corners and... You know, just a warrior in hate. He's he's wearing white trunks with a yellow warrior on his butt cheek. 
and uh, looks like red and white and yellow tassels. Very Hulk Hoganist colors today. Uh, of course, Haku is in his royal purple purple pants with the crown, the gold crown on it. Uh, now, one of things, one of the things I would be excited about in this is that just I mean, Haku's a bruiser. You know, I mean, he 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 always seemed he was actually one of the first opponents for the Warrior when Warrior won the championship in '90 from Hogan. I always had thought that Haku would have been Haku was a great challenger for the world title, uh, Barbarian as well. I mean, I know I have a lot of love for uh, the Faces of Fear as well as the Powers of Pain, but I always thought that the those three men, the Warrior, the Warlord, the Barbarian, and Haku, were always good challengers you knew they were you know they you knew they weren't going to win but they at least would put on a good show against whoever the world champ or the intercontinental champ was i know barbarian had a lot of matches back and forth with brett which is before brett became the intercontinental champ and then kind of afterwards i think for a little bit he was kind of like a he was like kind of one of his transitional opponents until you know a new feud had been developed warrior now body slamming haku dropping it missing an elbow haku missing a leg drop now, Warrior back up on his feet. Haku slowly getting to his feet. And we're going to go with a back body drop? No, an atomic drop into the turnbuckle from the Warrior. Haku hitting the top turnbuckle and now resting in the second. And now we have Warrior turning Haku around. He looks like he's going to deliver oh, a vicious chop, a vicious knife edge into the corner to Haku. Another knife edge from the Warrior. A third knife edge from the Warrior. Warrior's already doing more wrestling than he ever has in any match before. Oh, Warrior, big splash into the corner, missing. Haku out of the way. Now, this match actually runs about seven minutes, which is kind of interesting that the Haku took the Warrior seven minutes. couple stomps to the chest. Haku pulling Warrior up by the, head, by the hair, hitting him with a nice little forearm. Then he snaps him over, and he puts him into the, ooh, the vicious Tonga death grip. Or he's uh, just a nerve pinch on the floor. Shades of Andre the Giant, honestly, if you ask me. But uh, it looks like this is just a typical 1980s rest hold for these two. These guys blown up already. Warriors breathing very, very heavy. Haku looks like he's about ready to run a 5K. <laughs> so, but Warriors getting you know his energy from his Warriors in the crowd. He's getting himself back up onto his knees, back up onto his feet. Haku still with the nerve pinch and a punch to the midsection, and now. Ooh, Haku going to throw Warrior into the turnbuckle. Warrior blocking it, shaking the ropes, and giving Haku a little, a little head, a little head uh, butts into the corner. Doesn't the Warrior know that this isn't going to hurt him as much as it would a normal competitor because he is, he is of uh, Tonga descent. But uh, yeah, Haku a little, little, little weirded out right now. Uh, Warrior climbs up on the second turnbuckle to hit Haku, and Haku pulls him out and reverses him to an inverted atomic drop. And now Haku posing to the crowd. The one true king, looking so regal as he does. Ooh, and a vicious chop to the warrior's chest section, knocking the warrior down. And Haku pulling him up from his hair. And it looks like he's going to give him a big body slam here. Ooh, actually a power slam. Oh no, a shoulder breaker. Haku hitting a shoulder breaker on the warrior and getting a two count. Well, like a one and a half count. And warrior kind of gorilla presses Haku over the referee who's counting. And a couple of vicious, uh, vicious chops to the, to the clavicle area, some lat trap shots or whatever you call it, and right back to a nerve hold, Haku right back to the nerve hold, trying to get the warrior down and keep him out. Warrior's face paint still on full, which is 
nice to see. So even at this match going now a few minutes, Warriors still face paint is still on. It hasn't come off yet. Yeah, I can't get over how much the Warriors like kind of like a pseudo Hulk Hogan here because he's got red and yellow and white is like his color scheme, uh, including the face paint, the tassels, the wrists, the boots, everything he's got on is just that kind of just real different, which I mean, you would see, you wouldn't really see Warrior do this that often. I mean, he would have like bright colors and everything, but he would usually throw like a purple or a blue or something else in there. So having him kind of go like faux Hogan right here is kind of interesting. And uh, he's back up on his feet now, giving a couple of elbows into the gut, knocking Haku down with a big shoulder breaker here. Haku on the ground. Does a little up, Warrior would kick to the midsection, and a big scoop slam. And now he's off the ropes. Here comes the Warrior up. Oh, Warrior goes for the Warrior slam, or the Warrior uh, body slam, or whatever you would call it. And Haku put up his legs. Bought Warrior splash, excuse me. And Haku put his legs up, and his knees, Warrior in the knees, right in the gut. <clears throat> now Haku with a couple of kicks to the midsection here. And it looks like Haku, once again, back on offense. Warrior back on defense now. And a big choke. Haku choking the Warrior out right here on the right here on the outside of the ring. And Warrior's hair just uh, not doesn't look like it has a lot of product in it today. So just a kind of a different Warrior, I feel like, in this case right here in Los Angeles. There's a couple of, couple of reverse thrust hits, I guess. Oh, and like a thrust chop to the neck. Right to the throat area of the warrior. Now Haku standing in front of the warrior with both men standing trying to do the tongue of ice grip on his neck. But I don't know how effective this is going to be, especially since warrior can now hit Haku. I feel like maybe this is uh, maybe a bad move on uh, Haku's part right here. Another wrestle. Haku, though, getting actually a little bit, getting a little bit more offense from here. He actually has the warrior down to one knee. And the referee right in the warrior's face asking him if he wants to give up. I highly unlikely he's going to submit to this kind of a move here. But uh, the referee's checking the warrior's arm falls once. Arm does not fall twice. It's shaking, and he's shaking up now. And warrior's now kind of warrioring it up. And he's um, he's getting back up to his feet. He breaks Haku's nerve hold, and he starts hitting Haku with the traps. But then Haku hitting him in the back, and then another body slam. Haku off the rope. Drove for a big dive, and Warrior now catching him with his knees into the stomach. So a little reversal of turnabout fair play right here. Warrior looking like he's getting ready to shake the ropes. He's going to start shaking the ropes? Yes, he is. Warrior starting to shake the ropes, and as we know, that means he is in, he is invulnerable to any shots from his opponent. Haku trying to deliver those shots, but no one is... Warrior's not having any of it. No selling everything. Dodges a punch, Warrior hits one punch, he hits a trap shot, and then he just drops, he just drops Haku's head right into the mat. Warrior off the ropes, big clothesline, one, he's trotting to the crowd, he's looking for a Warrior slam here, it looks like for the press slam, he goes off the rope, he hits a big shoulder block on Haku, and now it looks like he wants to press him. Warrior wants to press Haku. He wants to press the king and get him up high up. Oh, Haku blocking it off the rope, missing a clothesline. And Warrior just oh, ducks underneath, runs around. Haku going for a suplex. Suplex blocked. Haku, Warrior giving a suplex on his own. He runs off the rope, off the other rope. The big Warrior splash. And that is it. I'm going to say one, two, three. He hooks the leg. And that's all she wrote for the Ultimate Warrior in his title defense against the King Haku. Haku bringing him to the limit here in January of 1989. But just not enough. And thankfully, the Warrior is not the king of the WWF. Um, 
Haku gets to keep that championship. I guess only the Intercontinental title was on the line. So that is going to do it for Carnoso Monthly. My name is Keithy Langston. Thank you for joining me. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And uh, stay tuned for more. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to this segment of Chronoso. I am your host for this segment, Mr. Luke Jennings. I am the voice of the UK's number one and only Memphis wrestling-related podcast, the Memphis Content Wrestling Cast, also Hamburg All-Stars, also Monday Night Project. All can be found over on the sister land, the place to be wrestling network. Each and every Saturday is Memphis. Each and every other Monday uh, we do Hamburg and then Monday Night Project. But I am bringing you on this segment... A very good match from the 29th of January 1989 and bringing you the Brain Busters versus the Rockers. So we're going to start playing the video. And uh, we are here in the Los Angeles Sports Arena, home of WrestleMania, home of one part of WrestleMania 2 and uh, WrestleMania 7. Uh, a podcast that I, re- I covered recently over on the Place to Be Wrestling Network. And uh, coming to ringside are the Brain Busters, Arn Anderson and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. On the call are Ron Trigard and Billy Graham. This match was taped for the Z Channel over on, uh, I think it's I think it's uh, primarily a California channel. I'm not entirely sure. But this afternoon, there are five, five ha- uh, cards happening on this day. On the 29th of August, uh, January, so we've got... Toronto, Ontario, Canada in the Maple Leaf Gardens. We've got Ronnie Garvin versus Raymond Rougeau. Mr. Perfect versus Tito Santana. Bret Hart versus the Honky Tonk Man. The Powers of Pain versus Demolition. The Blue Blazer versus Conquistador number one. Hulk Hogan versus Akeem. Rockin' Rebel, Rockin' Robin versus Sensational Sherry. And Rick Martel against Dino Bravo. Uh, we've also got one in the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis. Brooklyn Brawler versus Scott Casey, Ron Bass versus Tim Horner, Butchwhackers versus the Bolsheviks, Randy Savage versus Bad News Brown, Conquistador number one against Tony Gurria, uh, Big John Studd versus Big Boss Man, Hercules versus Ted DiBiase. We've then also got a show in Montreal, Quebec. We have got Iron Mike Sharp versus Lanny Poffo, Paul Roma versus Jose Estrada, Akeem versus the Blue Blazer, Bret Hart versus Honky Tonk Man. Tito Santana versus Mr. Perfect. Demolition uh, against the Powers of Pain. And then the main event is Hulk Hogan, Ron Garvin and Jim Duggan going up against Dino Bravo and the Rougeau Brothers. So I'm guessing those guys travelled from Toronto to Montreal. We've also then got this card, Las Vegas, sorry, Los Angeles. We've got uh, Sam Houston versus Barry Horowitz, which was taped for primetime. Rick Rude versus Brutus Beefcake, again taped for primetime. Ultimate Warrior versus the One True King. Cool, again, taped for primetime. Andre the Giant versus Jake Roberts. Red Rooster versus Danny Davis, taped for primetime. Greg Valentine versus Jim Neithart. And then this match. And then finally, on the 29th, there is a show in the Dayton, Ohio. Scott Casey versus Brooklyn Brawler. Coco Beware versus Conquistador number one. Rick Martel versus Ron Bass. The Bushwhackers versus the Bolsheviks. Big John Studd versus Big Boss Man. Hercules versus Ted DiBiase. Randy Savage versus Bad News Brown. So the hell of a weekend here for the WWF. So we are starting the action. And we've got the Rockers versus the Brainbusters. Arn Anderson starting for his team. Black Trunks, White Boots. Sean Milk starting for his team. Yellow Tights, White Boots. Side headlock by Michaels. And Anderson pushes him in the ropes, and Sean Michaels continues to hold on. I'm not sure who this referee is. 
I think the ring announcer may be Lee Marshall. I know he ring announced the um, last Angel the Los Angeles edition of WrestleMania 2. Still side headlock applied by Michaels. I'm trying to get out of this. Oh, hair pull there by Arn Anderson. Gets out of the uh, predicament. Brain busters have been here since October 88. I believe. Yeah, about that. And the Rockers have been here. Uh, they came in 87 for a day. And then they came back in 88. I think they've been here both at a very similar, similar time. Brain busters are here till the end of 89. Rockers are obviously here till... Together as a team, 1991. Then Shawn Michaels is there forever. Marty Jannetty uh, here for a few months, away for a few years. Here for a few months, away for a few years. It's all very uh, turbulent in the career of Marty Jannetty. But Shawn Michaels has got that side to look again. Oh, hair pull again by Anderson. And a sucker punch to Marty Jannetty by Anderson. Side to look now by Anderson. Push off by Muggles. Over the top goes Arn Anderson. And he holds onto the ropes to stop getting punched in the mush. But Marty Jannetty is there. Oh, bigger hand by Jannetty. And again, Arn Anderson fighting on the outside. Arn Anderson rolls back in the ring. Jannetty's in the ring. Jannetty's not the legal man, but Arn is. Arn getting peppered with lefts and rights. Arn goes rolling to the outside, and so does Tully. And the Rockers stand alone. Oh, yeah. They got it together, man. <laughs> and Tully Blanchard having trouble getting to his feet. Oh, he got nailed. He got nailed out there real good. Real serious, he got nailed. The Rockers right now, man, what a what a change of momentum that headlock was going for him. Arn Anderson opened up like I said he would. We've got the expert uh, commentary team here, Ron Trigard and superstar Billy Graham. And the commentary's table is right against the uh, the is right against the apron, very similar to what you'd see in uh, classic MSG. But hopefully you've enjoyed the uh, previous segments that we've just had in Chronostone. We've got some great segments upcoming with some great hosts. Recently, they, uh, the guys covered Royal Rumble 89, which was a great listen. And I'd imagine coming very, very soon is going to be WrestleMania 5. That's going to be a happening for sure. Oh, what a slap by Arn. Oh, Shawn Michaels now kicks and pummels him. Colin Libra type. Arn Anson pushed into the corner by, my, uh, by Sean. Oh, slap by Sean. Tit for tat here. And he dropped toe up by Michaels. Rich and look. Tully's tagged in. Oh! Great uh, foresight there by Shawn Michaels. He could see Tully was going to come in. And he was going to get double teamed, so he scurried out the ring. Tully Blanchard, red trunks, white boots. A uh, definite veteran of this point in his career. Arn's only been wrestling since 83. Uh, Shawn, I think, since 84, 85. Marty since 84, Tully for, I think, the late 70s at least. Obviously, it helps when his dad's a promoter down there in Texas. Tully with some beautiful elbow drops. And now a reverse chin lock on HBK. Man, Anderson's got the power. Arn Anderson's definitely got the power. Tully Branch's got the speed, as evidenced by the flurry of dropped elbows on Michaels right here and uh, he's trying to power up out of it and he does Michaels escapes arm drag got Tully he's got oh no Tully with a, evaded the attack now trying to get to his partner 
Sean's got the t um can't quite get the telly can't, can't quite get the tag he's there now and tags double I yeah, now but the referee did not see it the referee did not see it he was busy getting Marty out of the ring not entirely like again I said I'm not totally sure who this referee is he might just be a Los Angeles ref Marty now behind the referee's oh big splash on the arm of Tully Blanchard arm bar now by Janetti who's not the legal man Marty wearing the same as Sean, yellow tights, white boots. Need the gut by Tully. Push off by Marty. Beautiful arm drag there by Janetti. Into an arm bar. So this is this is the the last match that these guys have seen. You'd have thought maybe like the Andre match would have been or something like that, but this is the last match these guys are uh, seeing here today. Sean's on top and oh, high cross body across the arm of uh, Telly Blanchard. Arm bar now. He does notice. He's looking at Michaels and saying, "Hey, you're not catch, supposed. Are you supposed on. to be here? Right? Yeah. Eventually, the man's got to catch on. If you don't see the tag, you, you don't allow so, it. So yes. Yeah. You, you got to. So. You got to see the tag to allow that the exchange of uh, partners in the ring, man. If you don't see it, you don't allow it. As simple as that. The referee saw he just missed three tags in this match. Axe is fast and furious right now, and Arn Anderson is shaking his head on the apron, man. He can't believe it. Wondering what he has to do to get in there. He did have a legitimate tag, which the referee did not see. So this weekend on Wrestling Challenge, we had Barry Horwitz versus Bret Hart. We had the Powers of Pain against David Studemeyer and Rick Allen. Red Rooster versus Danny Davis, Dino Bravo versus Scott Casey, Rick Martel versus Dale Viassi, Umar Atlas and Tim Horner versus the Bushwhackers, King Haku versus Josh Stroud. So they've had a an action-packed weekend here in wrestling. Over on the other side this weekend, NWA Worldwide Wrestling. There was Mike Jackson and Mike Justice going to get the Midnight Express. Barry and Kendall William going up against Bill Holiday and Keith Steinborn. Butch Reed versus Max MacGyver. Michael Hayes and the Junkyard Dog versus the Russian Assassins. The Varsity Club of uh, Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda going up against Eddie Swift and Mike Collins. Al Perez versus Agent Steel. Um, there is also a New Japan Golden Series happening. Day number nine. There's a young Minoru Suzuki wrestling on there. I'm not even going to attempt to botch some of these names. Big Van Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow are teaming and they're facing Inoki and Tatsumi Fujinami. Janetti now coming in like a house of fire. And Anderson now with a kick and they go for a double suplex but Sean comes in. Sean comes in and saves his partner. Double, double super kicks there by the Rockers. Crowd are going bananas and the Brain Busters are out. One exchange, teamwork, tag team, teamwork at its best right there by the Rockers. Oh, uh, Rod. Oh, indeed. Lightning quick teamwork as we have alluded to previously. Moves, counter moves, and saved by your fellow man. Uh, that was tremendous tag teamwork. The, the Rockers brain, are surely rocking right now. The Brain Busters on the outside looking in and wondering maybe which one of them is supposed to be in against Marty Jannetty. It is Tully Blanchard. That was a great fluff. Just realised, I'm not entirely sure why Bobby Heenan's not with the Brainbusters. Uh, maybe he's somewhere else managing. I didn't see his name on the results, so I'm not entirely sure. He may be with Andre or Rude, maybe. 
Oh, and a atomic drop by Mike Giannetti on Blanchard and oh no, Sean came in for a drop kick but Blanchard held onto the ropes and an over drop missed by Blanchard. Tag to double A. Sean Michaels holding that back after that missed drop kick. I don't think he was supposed to miss it. I don't know. That looked a bit um, like it should have happened. But Colin Libra type now. So, shove off by Michaels. Oh, shoulder tackle down goes Michaels. Hard shoulder tackle there by Anderson. Holy moly. Cuck. Anderson working over Michaels in the corner now. Oh, short punch to the ribs there by double A, the enforcer. Uses the rakes the laces across the eyes. Oh, shot to the gut by Anderson in the corner. Whips him corner to corner. Michaels goes in hard. I'm Sean Michaels. Yeah, but we got a fresh uh, Donetti on the apron, man, waiting to come in. If this man can only make a tackle. Irish again. Sean Michaels goes to the top, goes to the top, and over the top of him. And a beautiful hip toss by Michaels. And a hurricane runner, beautifully done. Fists are plenty on Anderson. In comes Tully Blanchard. He's getting some fists now. All four men are in. Blanchard out, over the top. Double Irish ship now by the Rockers. Double drop kick down goes on. Crowd are going bananas again. And a double drop kick to Tully on the apron. The Rockers look fantastic, Rod. I can't believe it. Tremendous move. What timing. What unbelievable timing by the Rockers. What lightning quick moves by the Rockers. As it is Gennetti now dragging Blanchard back in. <laughs> Blanchard back in. Oh. But there's not been many pin attempts either in this match, which is quite good. Oh, double team there by the Rockers. Tully Blanchard whipped into the boots of our there over Sean Michaels. Irish hit by Janetti. Kick and Sean's going for a Sue. No, Tully Blanchard blocks and a. Oh no, he reversed the slingshot. Schoolboy, schoolboy, schoolboy. One. Go. No, Michaels stops the pin and goes after Iron Anson. Attacked by Tully Blanchard to the back of Sean Michaels. Irish ship now reversed by Sean Michaels. Um, Tully puts on the brakes. Iron Anderson's crouched down by the apron. He can't. Sean Michaels can't see him. He's chasing after Tully. And oh, what a move there by Iron! Straight to the throat. There's a guy in a suit. Absolutely love that in the front row. most vicious moves I've ever seen yet out of brain boosters. What timing that was, Rod. When there is no way you can set yourself up to defend it, we're going to get another look. And look at this. Here we come. Michael's chasing Tully Badger, ducks his clothesline there, and runs right into a clothesline, a double clothesline by Arn Anderson. Unbelievable timing. Indeed, Michael's Michael's rolled back in the ring. Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson even follows. <laughs> Snapmare by Arn. Very close to the ropes. Oh, smushed across the face. Stomp in the face. And picking up Sean. Whips him into Tully. Oh, straight into the boot of Tully Blanchard. And now going for a suplex, maybe. Oh, no. Held him open for Tully while Tully came off the top rope. Tully... On top of Sean, pummeling him with some right hands. Sean taking a beating, definitely, in this match. Various parts of it. Now thrown over the top rope. If that had been the NWA, that would have been a probably disqualification, brother. 
cameraman's right in the face of the prone Shawn Michaels on the mat. His arm tagged in, was that just, was that just a high five? Arn Anderson, though, watching over him like a hawk, man, ready to go in for the prey. And now it's Tully Blanchard reaching out for Michaels and drilling him a couple of times, and Arn Anderson picks up where Blanchard left off, and the referee... Sean was stood uh, against the apron, and Arn just came along and just gave him a swift kick to the head. Arn Anderson now tagged in. Arn brings in Sean. Through the ropes, back in the ring. Snap, meh. Drops an elbow, but Sean gets out of the way. Hands up. Drops an elbow, but gets Sean gets out of the way. Sean rolls back out of the ring. Oh! Right hand by there by Sean. And, oh, and again, gets met with a right hand. Sean. Oh, the sunset flip over the top. Sunset flip over the top. Arn's trying to get to a rope. Arn's trying to get to something. Oh, he's down. He's down. One, two, no, Tony Blanchard just walks in the ring and breaks up the pin. Telly's now in. Telly's now tagged. Arn must, must have got the tag as he went over. Oh, wrecks the eyes of the with the laces. Sean just swinging it. Wild air there. Oh, fisty cuss now by Blanchard and Michaels. Sean needs that tag. Oh, out to the apron there. Telly grabbed him by the trunks and just launched him through the ropes. But Sean held on, and he's still just on the apron. Anderson now tagged in. These brain busters absolutely professionals. They're tagging constantly. They've obviously had a lot more experience with tagging than the Rockers have. I don't know, about, probably about the same, because obviously the Rockers were the Midnight Rockers in uh, AWA at the same time that the brain busters were in WCW, NWA, whatever you want to call it. Then they obviously went to Memphis. Um, so yeah, they've probably been tagging about the same time, really, I guess. Up the little stretch now by Tully. Moist. Very moist. And Anderson now back in. So to look now by Sean though. Push off by Arn. Down goes Arn over the top. And uh, oh, both men collide. Arn had no idea what was happening. He was... So broke into the crowd. Sean Michaels went running into Arn at 100 miles an hour. Sean now going over, trying to get to the tag to Janetti. Tully's in, Tully's in, but Arn stops him. Arm stops Sean from tagging. He holds on to the leg. Small package by Sean. Small package by Sean, but the referee's too distracted by trying to get Marty Janetti out of the ring. Sean Michaels with the small, small package. One, no kick out by Tully. Marty uh, put uh, Sean in danger here. He needs to sort himself out. Side to look by side to look takedown by Tully. Head scissors by Sean. No, both men. One, two, and a bridge. And a bridge. One, two. Kick out by Tully. Sean needs that tag more than anything. And he goes for it. No, but Tully catches him. Oh, reverse atomic drop. Tag into one. The enforcer double A back in the ring. Oh, punch to the gut, whips him. Was he going for that spine buster? Maybe no. Sean Michaels ducks, and Arn catches a oh, spine buster. What a spine buster there by double A. Goes for the cover. One, two, 
Marty breaks up. Marty had to break that pin because Sean, there was no way Sean was kicking out of that. No way. Arn goes for the cover again. One, two. Sean kicks out. Sean kicks out. Arn's got the fingers uh, gr uh, locked. Greco-Roman style with Sean. Sean's trying to get back up the crowd and get him behind him. Sean trying to get the tag. Sean's inching closer to the tag. Inching closer. Turn around, Sean. Turn around. Tell he's in. Tell he's in. Tag! Marty's in. Marty's in. Marty is in like a house of fire. Crowd are going absolutely bananas here for Marty Giannetti. Marty Giannetti working away on their brain busters, knocking them down with right hands. Oh, Tully catches him with a boot, though, and a back elbow. Double Irish up there by the busters. And a. No, they went down. Double knock and knocker. Sean's on the top. Sean's on the top. Sean with a high. Oh, double off the fist, off the one. Two, no, but arms in, arms in, arms Sean leapt off the shoulders of uh, Marty Giannetti with a big fist. Marty's got Sean, Marty's got Tully, and Arn takes the legs, Arn takes the legs. Referee hasn't seen it, but Arn's got the legs. One, two, three. Brain Busters win, Brain Busters win. Marty was going for a suplex on Tully, but Arn was too close to the ropes, and Arn grabbed the legs of Marty Giannetti, then held onto the legs, allowing Tully to get the pin, the one, two, three. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been a happening. I have been your host, Mr. Luke Jennings. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at MemphisCast. Also to catch the shows that we do, the Memphis Content Wrestling Cast, Monday Night Project, Hamburg All-Stars, and many other things that we have in the pipeline. Um, enjoy the, your next segment, and I shall pass it on to the uh, next person. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Cronoso, and we have just covered the Rockers versus the Brainbusters, the 29th of January, 1989. Until next time... Face at last for the Super Clash, the Twin Towers versus the Mega Powers. It all started in the golden days of summer when the madness joined the menu to mark the first triumph of the Mega Powers, the Hulkster, Macho Man, and the lovely Miss Elizabeth. But very soon, the lying smile of Brother Love betrayed the Hulkster, stunned by the brutal boss man, and blinded by the sly slickster, the Hulkster barely survived the beating that would have crippled the lesser man. Justice came swiftly for Brother Love, but the Slickster continued his vile agenda as his bully boys, Boss Ben and Akeem, Pearl Harbor the Mega Powers. Ejected from the ring that night, the treacherous twins were soon back to their dirty work, double teaming the lone Hulkster. But then, the ultimate in cowardice, the handcuffing and vicious manhandling of the lovely Miss Elizabeth, enraging the Macho Man Randy Savage to this heroic rescue. With Slickster's response, a barbaric assault on the exposed spinal column of the Macho Man, rendering the brave champion helpless. Only the full blood of Hulkamania could deter this treacherous threesome and issue the challenge to clash. Barrett Square, team versus team, tonight in the main event. The WWF main event, Landscape Report from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the Bradley Center, airing live February 3rd, 1989. Of course, your main event is the Mega Powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage, with Miss Elizabeth versus the Twin Towers, Akeem the Big Bossman with Slick. 
Also, we have Ted DiBiase with Virgil versus Hercules in a singles match to close this event out. This is an hour-long event, airing on a Friday night, 8 p.m. start. The live broadcast drew 11.6 rating, which is 19.9 million viewers. Holy shit! <laughs> Raw is lucky if they get 1.9 million viewers now, but this is a completely different landscape, of course. Your WWE Champions at the time is the Macho Man Randy Savage, your World Wrestling Federation World Heavyweight Champion. Your Intercontinental Champion is the Ultimate Warrior. Axe and Smash of Demolition are your World Tag Team Champions. Seven dark matches here on the night before the main event. Andre the Giant defeated Jake the Snake. The Fabulous Rujos defeated the Hart Foundation with Brother Love as your special guest referee. The Ultimate Warrior defeated Greg the Hammer Valentine's. Demolition defeated the Powers of Pain by disqualification. The Brain Busters defeated the Rockers. Brutus the Barber Face and Mr. Perfect ended in a double disqualification. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan, ho, defeated Dino Bravo in a flag match, which was luckily a dark match. The Bradley Center broke ground on October 20th, 1989. Really getting that foundation in before the winter comes. Good job, Milwaukee. Opened its doors two years later on October 1st, 1989. Closed recently, January 25th, 2018. I'm sure those Milwaukee Bucks scumbag owners had the city pay for your goddamn arena. But that did happen. They bought the Milwaukee Bucks at quite the discount, had the city build, build the arena, and re-signed Giannis and won a world championship. I would say that's quite a five or six or seven year run for those new owners in Milwaukee. Don't worry, Milwaukee. Big Green is coming this year. Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, your boy Drew Holiday. Just to name a few. Come for that ass this year, Milwaukee. I don't give a fuck about no in-season tournament. Celtics coming for the true ground. All right, anyways. Getting all hot over here about the Celtics. $91 million construction job here, which with inflation would be $243 million in 2022. Some notable WWE pay-per-views held in this arena. No Way Out, 2002. The debut of the NWO. Tab Tuesday. 2004, Elimination Chamber, 2012, and Fastlane, 2017. Now, if that is not the definition of a B pay-per-view in a B-ass arena, just like the B-ass Milwaukee... All right, we're not going down that road again. Anyway, guys, that's the landscape of the an arena port for Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the Bradley Center. Steve Bennett, Scott Criscolo, take it over, boys, as we jump into the Twin Towers and the Mega Powers. Hey now, it is Crinoso. Scotty, what's up, buddy? Mr. Bennett, how are you, sir? Steve Bennett, Scott Criscolo here. The new tandem. It's supposed to be three of us, but Justin's busy the next 321 days. <laughs> so he cannot, he cannot join us. He did say he has about 45 minutes in March he could squeeze us in, but uh, <laughs> Scott, Scott and I decided to do it on our own. It's an idea that I had. Shame on me. I had an idea. I should have kept my ideas to myself uh i had an idea um and to be fair i was the issue last week so to be fair to justin i had an idea that scott and i uh once had a legendary moment on the place to be nation flagship show the great show 600 plus episodes episode 518 was called the road to wrestlemania and it was a show that you guys did in between the last show before wrestlemania and wrestlemania correct and it was the two of us and Justin mm-hmm. and also John D'Amato as well. Yes. 
Yep. And we broke down the card and said, what will we change? I think we mixed the tag matches up a little bit. You know, there was some we didn't change. We may mess with you. We just had fun with it a little bit. Yep. And over the course of that, as we got to the discussion of the main event, uh, Scott and I had a way to disagree about some things that related to the main event show that preceded WrestleMania. Correct. Um, and that's what we're here to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about that match, the main event of the main event two. Mm-hmm. Or is it three? Two. two. Second time they did it. Second time they did it. Uh, of course, uh, the main event at one was the famous, the first time Hulk lost the belt to Andre, and Andre gives it that. So this is the second time around. We're in prime time on NBC. Great numbers this does. Um, you know, all these shows, the main event, Sarah's main event, always did great numbers back then for them. Numbers they would die for today, obviously. Uh, different world then, of course. We had such a legendary moment doing this last time. We said, let's not try to recreate it, but let's just try to run it back and see if some of the same feelings come up. We feel different mm-hmm. um, and just see where it goes. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, and I think the first question I have for you, Scott, because I like to know this, we were obviously around then, right? Not everyone on Cronoso tonight was around when this aired. Right. Um, I know I watched it live and I'll tell my story, but what do you remember about the night this aired? Did you watch it? When did you first see it? What are your memories kind of this back in 89? I, w- I definitely watched it live. Uh, 88, 88. I was a s- sophomore in high school. And uh, I was, my buddies were over, and it was a big deal. You know, obviously the year before was a was a huge deal. Yep. Uh, first time WWF was in prime time in. Uh, fair. Well, I mean, geez, what do you want? You know, yeah, not everybody was born in 2010. Not everybody's first world champion was Roman Reigns. So uh, I was. We were really pumped, and obviously the show was huge. We, you know, the mega power. We were big. Me- we were all mega powers guys. You know, because I was a, a Hogan fan, and. And I mean, who doesn't love Savage? Savage was champion. It was an interesting year, I remember, because you know, being a, a wrestling fan since probably '83, um, it was weird having uh, having Hogan not be champion for that yeah. long a period of time. It was very strange. Um, having said right. that, never it didn't right. look right. Yeah. No, it did not look right. It never looked right. It didn't look right when he wasn't around. It didn't look right without a belt. It just looked weird. Yep. Having said that, I love Savage, so I had no problem with it at all. It was just different. I, I think the best part for me quickly is that I felt like Hogan Andre was almost a better feud without the belt. And, uh, and they had ended up having a banger of a cage match at WrestleFest. Yeah. In, in, uh, I think it was Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah. In that summer, kind of like a pre SummerSlam, SummerSlam before the real SummerSlam. And then you got into Survivor Series and then the looks and all that. And I know you and I are going to get into that because, yeah. It was really the crux of our uh, of our debate, um, and then the looks, and then you know, right? Jesse would start saying "Lust Hogan" and "I smell a rat" and all this other stuff, and Savage is a victim of circumstance and all that kind. Of, and then, of course, it would build up, and then Hogan would uh, would accidentally uh, toss uh, Savage out of the Rumble. Right, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get to yeah. That. So we'll get there. So anyway, so I remember. Um, I, I definitely remember watching it live. And uh, I was pumped for WrestleMania five. I was a big warrior guy, just like my buddy, my best friend at the time was. So he was pumped to see him uh, against rude. So I was definitely ready for this show. It was a, it was a fun show to, yeah. uh, to watch. I was uh, eight going on nine. I would turn nine in the, you know, at the end of the summer. Um, and this is the, 
like, I mean, I'm all in on Hulkamania here, obviously, at the time. Uh, I started watching in the build to WrestleMania 2. Um, I remember the first thing I seen was when Hogan had the tape on his ribs and was working out and Mean Gene and the doctor. Right. That was the first thing I like stumbled upon and then went from there and heard Mr. T was involved. I was a big 18 fan. Still I'm a big 18 fan. Uh, never stopped watching the 18. Love it. Totally. Shout out to those guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, these were big nights for me because uh, for the most part, I watched wrestling on my own. You know, I would watch the Cindy's on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, like in, in my, by myself, my parents were doing something Saturday night's main event. I would watch at my dad's house. Um, but my dad would be sleeping by 10 o'clock next to me, you know, but if you remember these days, the family watched TV together in prime time, right? Like yeah, we watch Roseanne together, wonder years or, you know, sitcoms and, congregating nobody had ipads or you know a lot of people didn't we i didn't have a tv in my bedroom till i was like 13 years old you know after dinner after homework or whatever everyone would meet up in the living room and you'd kind of fight over what you're going to watch on tv and so it was a big deal for me like my parents are going to watch with me you know uh you know my my uh my little brother i think was about three at the time he's running around kind of watching you know, I think my stepdad had a friend over. Like, it was just, it was a real communal thing. And it was like right. my thing. I was the wrestling fan. So, you know, the whole time I'm telling everybody like, oh, this is this guy. And this guy fought this guy. Now, as far as the mega powers, as much as I loved Hogan, I loved Steamboat. So I never trusted Savage. Mm-hmm. Because to me, Savage was an attempt. He tried to murder a guy. He tried to kill my guy. Right. So I couldn't understand why even Steamboat at Survivor Series 87. I even questioned that. How is everyone just forgiving this guy? This guy tried to kill Ricky Steamboat in the Boston Garden with the ring bell. That's right. So I never was a Savage fan. Now, Hulk said to be his friend. So I went with it. But I was very, very, very questioning of Savage. I did not trust Savage. And that's why. And that's straight up how I felt as a kid. Because to me, you know, I was still thought everything was real, obviously. And to me, Savage jumped off the top rope with the bell and tried to crush Steamboat's throat and kill him. Right. I was very untrustworthy of him. But it was a big night. Everyone was watching, you know. Two, uh, you know, 246 Woodbine was bumping. Everyone was there. And wrestling was the star of the night, you know, and it yep. was a big deal. You know, my family was on the couch watching and, you know, it was big names too. Like we said, everyone knows Hulk Hogan. Everyone knows the Macho Man. My, lo- my mom loved Miss Elizabeth. Oh, I can't wait to see what she's wearing. She's so pretty. That, you know, that kind of stuff. So right, yep. it was, it was a big night. So you mentioned, and we can kind of go through it a little bit to set the stage, that, this had started back at WrestleMania four uh, in the main event. Macho man's in trouble. Elizabeth goes and gets Hulk. Hulk evens the odds in the match helps the macho man win the belt. And this sends us on the course of the handshake and the mega powers and the mega powers being a unit. Right. But from the beginning, very subtly, it seems like, or very close to the beginning, 
they very smartly would put in little clues along the way, real subtle things like Macho Man looks at Hulk a little bit different towards the end of SummerSlam 88 when they're posing. You know, oh, we probably by coincidence, Hulk put his hand there, but then they know, oh, it's pretty close to Elizabeth's ass. Let's run with that, you know. And they very smartly built the tension between Hogan and Savage, which then sort of boiled over at the Royal Rumble when, as you said, Hulk accidentally, which as a Hulk fan, to me, it very clearly looked accidentally. He ran in to try to help uh, Macho Man, who was down three to one. And in the process, Macho Man rolled over the ropes. Now, to a Macho Man fan, and this is what was great about what they were doing, you could, with good arguments, say, no. Hulk comes running in like an idiot and basically hits Macho Man square in the back and knocks him out. So they formed it in a way where no matter whose side you were on, you could believe that side and make a case that that person was ruining the mega powers, right. whoever you wanted it to be. Right. Macho Man with his jealousy or Hogan with his lust. You could make a good case either way. So that brings us to tonight. We've smoothed things over in the Cindy's last few weeks, right? We, we've told the story that, all right, we got emotional at the Royal Rumble, but everything's good. The Mega Powers are good, and we're going to have a match tonight. Um, and the match goes off, and Scott, why don't you jump in and talk a little bit about um, where they go with the match and kind of what you were feeling at this time in terms of, where they stood as being friends and who was screwing it up. Cause I think you have more of the macho man view on this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, obviously we were going towards the build to, um, to mania mania. I mean, this is, this is early February. So we're almost exactly two months away. They are, are obviously it was almost to the day, two months yeah. away. Uh, WrestleMania was April 2nd. Back at uh, AC, and um, it was obviously. I guess the question was, you know, how was this match? This was a big match, prime time. There was probably one Saturday night's main event. I think uh, before Mania, it was probably early March. They did the same thing in '88, yep, and um, '87 actually. Um, they did the same thing in '88, and. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, they're taking on two hosses in uh, Boss Man and, uh, and uh, Mr. Rosero's beloved Akeem. Yeah, they did a good and, job of stacking the deck against them just, just that way, right? Like it's Yeah, like, I mean, two guys combined yeah. weigh, you know, freaking 550 pounds, almost 600 pounds. We're probably almost 700 pounds. Slick's on the outside. Yeah, and you got Slick and, you know, they're all pals and, you, you know, DiBiase still flow. You know, so there's there's a lot of. I was expecting the Mega Powers to win, and we'd move on, and then we'd see, you know, maybe Savage would get a rematch, and or Savage would face, you know, DiBiase again, or Hogan would face Andre. Like, you're not sure what's going on. And then the moment happened, the moment that you and I discussed yeah. vociferously in yeah. episode 518. Yep. Um, Boss Man, and I re-listened to it today just to clarify my uh, the facts. Boss Man throws Savage over the top rope, and lands on Elizabeth. Right. Okay. Elizabeth took a good bump. I got to give Miss uh, yeah. the late Miss Ulette credit. She uh, she landed well. 
Yep. She was not. She she knew her way around the ring. Yep. More than people thought she did. I, I think I said did a good job of protecting her too. Coming at her, obviously he was very. Was yeah. good, they did a good job, and it looked. They great. did. They did a good bump. He kind of lay. He kind of kind of butted her. He didn't like throw. You know. It, but it she, looks she, scary. It looks like oh shit. Oh totally, yeah. totally. And and then Savage gets back in the ring and fights. Hogan walks over to her, and this is where I started get like <laughs> you and I like you and I like totally like. I mean, you gotta I think listen, you gotta listen to five eighteen because yeah. we're not even gonna try to recreate that. No, this no, come up as phony. Yeah, it was amazing. Had it hard on this. Yeah, and I remember saying, "Where are the where's the EMTs? Where's the ambulance? Why why is Hogan picking up this woman? Could have a broken neck. Why is he? And then why is he leaving? Meanwhile, Savage is getting destroyed by two four hundred pound guys. Yeah, and. Hogan is picking up. My father even said it. My dad's like, "Why is Hogan picking up this girl? Woman could have a bro." You know, my dad was, you know, he he used to be fun. He my dad knew it was not real, but but he uh, he liked playing along with. It. He's like, they're not even making any. My father's actually thinking that they're not making sense. Like, why would you not have EMTs come out, put her on a gurney, wheel her off, and then the mega powers keep wrestling? No, why would Hogan pick her up with her head with her with her head dangling off him right. to walk to the back so Savage could get the crap kicked out of him? By two 400-pound guys. It's not like he's wrestling DiBiase and Virgil. He's wrestling these two guys that are, that are like defensive linemen, and, and Savage is the quarterback. And, and then that's, that's the beauty of this, because everything you said is fair, right? But now what I would say is, okay, Hogan and Elizabeth, or Hogan and Savage, they love Elizabeth, right? They sure. want to protect Elizabeth. She's very important to them, Right. And in my mind, if Macho knew that Elizabeth was in trouble and the best way to help her was for Hulk to go to the back for a second and get her help, why? Savage wouldn't have a problem with that. Right. Savage can hold his own for a couple minutes here at the at the trade of making sure Elizabeth's okay. Right. And as far as the okay. ATM or the uh, EMT goes, where the fuck were they? How long is Hulk supposed to stand there and wait for the EMT to show up? Damn you, Milwaukee. He knows they're helping the back, right? He knows Damn you, Milwaukee. Right? <laughs> so if I'm Hulk, I'm standing there saying, how long can I wait? Because precious seconds are passing. Now, of course, his first aid was sloppy, right? We should have. But I, I will say in 88, we knew less about neck injuries, I think, than we do now. Is, yeah, true. Yeah, this for is, I think, you know, this is pre, um, who is the guy in the Lions with the thumbs up? Mike Utley. Mike Utley. Uh, this is pre that, right? The couple years before that. So we don't right. have quite the knowledge. I don't think we do that. But um, yeah, Hulk, I think, was completely justified. Elizabeth looked hurt. She took a nasty bump. She and did. there was nobody there to help her. You can talk all you want about EMTs and doctors and what they should have done, but they were nowhere to be found. And Hulk thought that the best thing to do was take her to the back. And I again, I think beyond our argument, the beauty of this and why it was so great is because I think we have both presented perfectly reasonable cases. Where was Dr. Zahorian? He was too busy jabbing uh, Hercules yeah, in the was ass. He? <laughs> he was jabbing Herc in the ass. He was looking in the back of the trunk to see if he had a couple more needles. He had a few more guys he needed. To <laughs> the war, the powers yeah. of pain needed a, needed a push. <laughs> yeah. So, look, you could say those guys should have handled it, but right. I would say, fine, where were they to handle it? They're not there. True. You know, when Steamboat, go back to that for a second. When Steamboat got hit in the throat, they came rushing down with the gurney. 
and they got him on the gurney and he tried to wheel him out. And poor guy was falling off of the gurney. He was in such <laughs> He was. Uh, His selling job was amazing. They came down. He didn't need anyone to take him to the back. Luckily, in the Boston Garden, they had their shit together. In right. Milwaukee, I don't know what the hell the first day was doing, but they weren't helping Elizabeth. So Hulk had to do what he had to do. Right. He takes him to the back and watch him pick it up there. All right. So he takes him to the back. He's there for, I mean, he's holding her. It, it was, it was, <laughs> we would almost, like, oh, please, please. Oh my God. It was like 11 years later at, uh, what was it? SummerSlam 2000 or whatever that SmackDown was when Kurt's looking at Stephanie and he plants one on her. I thought, I'm like, oh wait, what's going on here? Yeah. And then finally Hogan gets back. Meanwhile, it's a good, I'm talking a good seven, eight minutes. And they laid it and, in on Savage. And, that and Savage was getting, I mean, in, yeah. the, in the immortal words of Ben Dreith, they, they were giving him the business down there. Yeah. Um, they were laying him out like, I mean, he was getting, he was getting taken to the shed. Yep. And Hogan finally comes back and Savage is like, Jesus, where the hell have you been? Yep. And, um, not he, happy. Yep. no. And Savage finally, uh, gets to the corner and tags him. Yeah. Boy, does he tag him. He tagged him. All right. Yeah. He, he slapped him. her around the world and the mega powers explode and they're done. That's it. They're the done. Savage powers. does the thing, you know, yep. Savage yep. and he's gone. Good luck. You want to, you want to face these guys on your own? Go ahead. Yeah. Go and ahead. does do. <laughs> of course he do it. Are you shocked? Of course he did. Okay. You want me to do it on my own? Fine. And Hulk did it on his own. Right. Yep. And took care of business and got the W and got out of there. And, uh, yep. you know, shout out to Slick and to Akeem and Boston. They do a great job, by the way, in this match. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, they did, they, a great they, job. They did their roles perfectly. Yep. And uh, for a reward, uh, Vince fed them the rockers and, uh, they were able to give poor um, Shawn Michaels the clothesline. For, I still have never seen a clothesline quite that. Yeah, JBL's never even JBL's never even executed one that as good as that oh. one. His 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 blonde hair went flying up into the rafters of uh, yeah. the convention center in AC. When going you get to the no so WrestleMania five, I'm sure whoever has that match will not fail to describe the one of the right. great clotheslines of all time. But they did a right. great job, and again, Slick's got a PhD in style, so I expect. No, he's the most well-educated guy in the company. So I yep. expect top-notch not work from him as a man with a PhD. And they yep. do a great job. And, uh, they, you know, Hulk takes care of business. Uh, you know, like you said, Macho Man said, you want it, you got it. And Hulk said, all right. And uh, instead of sticking around to pose, the match ends and he's to the back because we got more more work to do, right? And yes. Pick it up there. So, so after the match, uh, uh, you know, Savage is, is with Elizabeth, who's still on the gurney. Hogan comes in and Savage obviously loses his mind. You know, you could have you could have faced me man to man. And I love I love the look that Savage goes, but that would have been too easy. And he but that would have been too easy. Yeah. And he's talking. He's got the title around his. He's got that belt around his arm. Talking to Hogan. Suddenly Savage goes off the screen and Hogan does a terrible job. He's talking to, to Elizabeth and you can see his head like this, like <laughs> it's like you can see yeah. it's like Hogan. And then and then it finally happens. Savage drills Hogan with a with a double double axe handle, and then just and then gets on him and just lays into him, throwing like medical things at him and tongue depressors and freaking bandages and everything, and leaves him laid out on the floor. It's basically the inspiration for Vince and Stone Cold um, in the Attitude Era. What after yeah. uh, after uh, Mankind is there with the uh, side yeah. The only thing was Savage didn't hit Hogan with a bed panel. Yeah, that no would that would have been pretty cool though. That would have been pretty good. That would have been pretty cool though. Yep. And that's but, uh, it. And the Mega Powers are done, yeah, and and, that, and we pretty much know our WrestleMania five main event right there. Yeah. It was Beefcake so, was in there, kind of trying to break it up. Beefcake tried to save him. Yep. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, that was before the the so that was before the face accident, so we didn't get any face lines from Bobby, although Bobby wasn't on commentary. So and when this ends, when this ends and I I, I want to know what you I'm gonna go right to you after. Mm-hmm. I stood up and I said, I told you he's no good. To me, in my heart, I knew it. I knew at some point he was gonna backstab Hulk. Because, like I said earlier, to me, he's the kind of guy who, because he's nervous, someone might take the Intercontinental Championship away from him, tries to kill the guy at the Boston Garden. So to me, that's who he was. And I stood up in that room and I told my mom and I told my dad and my dad's friend, Dave, I said, I told you that guy was going to do that. I knew it. I knew it. And now Hulk's going to have to take the belt off of him. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was going to happen too. I knew that 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 he had sealed his fate as champion. And that was my reaction. I stood up and told the whole room. What did you, what were your feelings in the moment? How, if you can remember, what did you feel like? At the end of the angle, maybe because you're a little torn because you're more of a fan of both. Where I was really loyal to Hogan, I was like 90 10. Feels like you were more like 50 50, 60 40. Whatever. I was more like, I would say, I would say honestly, uh, Steve, I was more like 65 35 Hogan. I still was a Hulkamaniac, no doubt. But everything we watched, my brother, and just to say this, my next, my oldest, my next older brother, I, I had two brothers. My next older brother was right. He loved heels. So he was right. so, he totally was trying to brainwash. My dad was a, my dad was a Hulkamaniac too, but my, my brother was totally trying to brainwash us. Lust. He loved, yeah. he loved Jesse lust. They should make lust Hogan t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how do you leave your guy in the ring? He's not a doctor. He's lifting her up. Like he was doing the whole thing. Jesse knew all along what a scumbag this guy was. And my, my brother was totally, but I think my brother was actually channeling Jesse. He almost sounded like Jesse. Gorilla's making excuses. All he's done for months is excuses, excuses. My my brother lost his mind. Your brother said, I'm going to have to get out of retirement myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, my, my brother loves Savage. Loves yeah. Savage. Uh, and like I said, and my, my brother loves Steamboat. Like to him, him and I both say that that match at WrestleMania three is still the greatest match in the history of the company. It still is. Same. I mean, unapologetically, to me, it's the best match. Yeah, me too. I get I get crap, and I don't care. Nope. Um. Uh. But I think I think what needed, and I and I will still say this, and I remember saying this on episode five eighteen. If they really wanted to make Savage, if they really wanted Savage to instigate the distrust, they didn't do it strong enough. All they did was the Hogan's hand on her ass or maybe on her hip or maybe on a cheek. Who knows? It was all very subtle. And then very it, subtle. And then it just happened. Boom. Yeah. What they should have done, only once did they do something they should have done more and not totally focus on Elizabeth, but more on Savage kind of using Hogan for his means. That's what they should have done. What yeah. they should have done was Savage be like, oh, man, I just wrestled a singles match against Barry Horowitz, man. I'm tapped. Hogan's wrestling Hercules. He's fine. He doesn't need me in the – but Hogan would always come to the ring. Right. It was at Sarah Jane's event. Randy wouldn't help Hogan. Right. Down Elizabeth. He's okay. He's like Hogan. He's fine. Okay. He's fine. We'll watch him from back here. Yeah. They didn't do that enough. They did yeah. it that one time sure. and they didn't do it anymore. Yeah. So the, the problem was, and here's and Steve, you're a little you were a little younger than me. Well, you are, yeah. you still are. But at that time, you were someone like you. They didn't want the hints to be too obvious they wanted the hints to be subtle because the younger fans needed to know that hogan was the good guy yeah i get to this i get it i'm not i totally get it but unfortunately 
the the writing balance just wasn't there. And for fans who were a little older, like myself in my you know my mid teens at the time, and my brother was in his twenties. It looked like Hogan was using Savage to get the girl. What they should have done was the reverse. Savage should have used Hogan to protect his title. The problem I ultimately have is now look. It led to an amazing match at WrestleMania Five. Yeah. We'll never. Die. It's it's on my top one hundred list. I mean, it's one of the biggest WrestleManias of all time. It is it's absolutely business. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they should not have focused. I again, I get it. It's Elizabeth, pretty you know, gorgeous girl, gorgeous woman. I get it. It's that's Vince's way of doing things. If this was Crockett, what they would have done is more like Savage using Hogan. Listen, do me a favor. I need you. I need you. I need you in the ring tonight. I'm wrestling this guy. I don't trust. I need your help. And then in the reverse, Savage is like, yeah, man. But I mean, that match was tough. I mean, you're fine. It's you, man. You're Hulk Hogan. You're fine. I'm going to go take a powder. That's what they should have done. Unfortunately, I felt that would have been too obvious. And they wanted, they liked the ambiguity, I almost feel like. And the slow, and, and it made it more of a slow build. You could stretch that out more. Right. You did have to stretch it out a year, right? So... I think right. that was a little easier to stretch out that way. I will say what I like about your point is what something people miss about Steamboat Savage, right? So if someone is a, 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 a hater of it, what they'll say is Steamboat should have fought a more vindictive match. Why wasn't he more vicious? Angry. Right? Angry. He, does angry. he does the spot in the beginning where he holds him up by his throat and throws him down. What they miss is the best way to get revenge for Steamboat that night is to win the title. Because the most important thing to Savage, the reason Savage attacked Steamboat is because the title was the most important thing. Right. Like, totally. So to, to burst to your point, in the, in the Hogan feud, they could have easily leaned into that more where they say the most important thing to Savage now is this title. And he's going to use Hogan by any means to protect it. Whereas instead they said the most important thing is Elizabeth. And by any means he protected that. And that like, made no sense because he when he when he was a heel and he was Intercontinental Champion, he didn't give a shit about her. Right. My, he my phone number is on the back of my license plate. You know. Yeah. That you know. But exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the back of license plate like that. Yeah. But but instead, he's world heavyweight. He's the world chief. Finally got what he wanted. That's he used Hogan. Thing. That's he could, you could say from the beginning. I used one year ago in this building. I used you. Yeah. I'm not your friend. I've never liked you, but I used you and all these idiots for this. Now I do think would make though, perfect sense. I do think, and I, that's a fair point. I do think that I know I, as a Hulkamaniac, felt that way anyway. You know what I mean? To me, right. to me, Hogan's uh, Macho Man turning on Hogan that way over these small things how he looked at her, where he put his hand, an accident at the Rumble, you know, for him, it's because he never gave a shit anyway. You know what I mean? Like, the only only reason you would treat someone who's supposed to be your best friend like that is because you never were in it like that to begin with. You know what I mean? So I think some of what you're saying existed anyway. Um, But I think for most a promo set. And I think maybe if it was in the Raw era where we're starting Raws with the guy in the ring for – I think we would have probably got more of that. You know what right. I mean? More of that verbiage, that um, that more direct uh, type promo. I don't think that was quite the style then. And the, the advantage no. that I think 
Crockett had in this era was it was a studio wrestling show, right? So you get right. those long segments where the four horsemen would come out around the desk with Tony Schiavone and they would get into these kind of monologues. Sure. So yep. it was a little, whereas on WWF, you had these small segments on superstars on the risers, you know, with, um, but we have time. We, have, we don't have time. We got to move on to the next uh, jobber squash. Real quick. So, yeah, but yeah, an unbelievable job here. I think they did a great job on the angle and we'll find out as we go forward on Cronoso, um, how this plays out, but the mega powers have exploded, Scott. Um, and that's it. That is, that's the end. And, uh, this will, uh, obviously culminate at the main event of WrestleMania five. And we'll have to go on the ride and see how it goes. Scott, maybe if one of us wins the draft uh, and we're able to pick that first overall, uh, we can bring the other in and um, and do, uh, do the follow-up <laughs> video for the match. We'll have to see how the draft goes. You yeah. know, for, the way Ryan runs the business, I'll probably get like the 23rd pick and I'll end up, you know, <laughs> I'll end up doing Dino Bravo's match. But hey, you know, he run, it's, his, it's, his, it's his world. You know what I mean? We're just living in it. So, all right. I am Steve Bennett. That is Scott Criscola. This has been Cronoso. We're out. North-South Connection. This is Steve Riddle back again as we are going to be wrapping up, talking about the main event number two here on Cronoso. Of course, uh, this show took place on February 3rd, 1989 from the Bradley Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, only a two-match show, but they were two uh, pretty big matches. Of course, we just had our pretty much our main event of the show as the Mega Powers did defeat the Twin Towers. Um, unfortunately, it did come at a price as, of course, we saw the explosion of the mega powers um, after the match. We like I said just a minute ago, where uh, the two of them were arguing in the uh, little like backstage um, like doctor's area there while Elizabeth was recovering on the stretcher. And then, of course, uh, Randy Savage uh, pasted Hulk Hogan with the WWF title, bringing an end to their to their team and of course setting up the big um the run now to wrestlemania 5 between the two um but we do have one more match here to talk about so kind of similar to the year before uh, the first main event where even though we had hogan it was all about hogan andre uh we did have the ic title match between uh hockey top man ray savage we have another match we do have a second match on this show um not a title match though but it is a um, another kind of good little feud that's been brewing throughout most of the fall into the winter uh bringing it in here and that's hercules versus the million dollar man ted dibiase of course this had stemmed from last fall when uh, dibiase attempted to purchase hercules from bobby heenan uh, so hercules could be his personal slave that of course turned hercules face um, they faced off at the survivor series with dibiase pinning hercules um, then they had um, Hercules actually defeated Virgil in a squash on a uh, previous Saturday's main event. And then, of course, they uh, faced off in the Rumble match um, with DiBiase eliminating Hercules. So DiBiase's really kind of had the upper hand on Hercules um, throughout the majority of this feud. But now they finally face off here to settle their issues. Um, of course, Hercules had just come out in the uh, come out kind of to a uh, very tepid reaction. The uh, the you know, the pop he had gotten when he first, you know, kind of turned face back in the fall, he's kind of tapered off a bit. Um, he does have the, um, he's now got the blue tights instead of the black ones. Um, we did quickly, um, after he came out of the ring, we didn't hear from uh, Mean Gene as he's in the doctor's office with, uh, as we see Hogan uh, be attended to in the background by uh, by the doctors and by Bruce Beefcake. Uh, Gene says he's going to try to get a, he wanted to get a word with Hogan, um, but was not able to. So we'll have to see what happens with that. 
Um, as I tend to have been doing here, we are going to be live watching this. If you are following along with me on Peacock, we're about 36 minutes and 23 seconds in. DiBiase and Virgil are on their way down the aisle to the ring, and we will get going here in three, two, one, play. Of course, Jesse and Mealy putting over, uh, putting DiBiase over as they kind of bring up the whole, uh, you know, the whole uh, slave thing. And of course, they're they. Of course, Jesse was loving what happened to uh, Hogan earlier on with. Um, with Savage, you know, taking him out. But now uh, Hercules now wasting no time. Um, knocked uh, Virgil off the apron now, throwing uh, DiBiase in the ring. DiBiase hasn't even gotten his suit off as uh, Hercules now has him hoisted up in the air, looking to bring him down with a big-time atomic drop. And a big clothesline by Herc, sending DiBiase over the top of the floor. Virgil now trying to go up top, but Herc tosses him to the mat, kind of facing him off. DiBiase now finally getting, um, getting the suit off. Um, Herc choking at Virgil, kind of tossing him to the mat. Not too much of, too much on that one there, because Virgil's kind of a big guy now. Virgil, uh, Hercules sending Virgil into DiBiase, who gets knocked back to the floor. There goes Virgil over the top of the floor. He kind of telegraphed that one. Um, he kind of jumped off there a little bit too quickly, and now DiBiase slingshotting uh, Herc uh, DiBiase uh, back into the ring. Now the crowd's starting to get a little bit into it. Um, and now Herc's, uh, the match has officially um, begun, by the way. Herc now with a uh, big-time uh, press slam here on DiBiase, slamming him down to the mat. And now Herc getting uh, getting fired up here. Herc now looking, uh, he's looking uh, pretty uh, juiced up here. Uh, he's getting pretty bulked up here. Now uh, catching the kick attempt by, by DiBiase. And now it's another atomic drop. This one now sends DiBiase over the top to the floor. Um, you see, as we uh, there, we are live, like I said, from the Bradley Center here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. DiBiase and Virgil trying to uh, get things together, but Hercules ramming their heads together. And has pretty much been all Hercules um, since the outset of this match. And uh, Vince now is saying that... Um, that after this match is over, we will go back to the uh, to the doctor's area where uh, where Mean Gene will get in there. We'll get to speak with Hulk Hogan as DiBiase has now snapped um, Hercules over the top to the floor. Now trying to get himself into uh, get himself into control of the match after the uh, kind of you know after Hercules caught him there at the beginning, um, he rammed him into the apron. Now uh, just pounding away on him as uh, as Herc is starting to get uh, maybe. Uh, Probably starting to get blown up already. Back into the ring now goes Herc. As DiBiase follows him in now with the now with the advantage here, kind of recovering from what happened earlier in the, in the match. Irish ripoff, nice clothesline there by DiBiase. And now one of his uh, trademark uh, moves there, dropping the uh, the fist on Hercules uh, repeatedly. There now it looks like he's going to go go for the pin. But Hercules powers out at two. DiBiase stunned. He can't believe that uh, Herc had that much uh, wherewithal to uh, to kick out there. Another Irish whip. And he catches Hercules with the knee right to the ribs. Herc is down and is hurt. DiBiase now going up to the middle rope looking to get the, uh, to inflict some more punishment here as Herc is uh, slow to get to his feet. Double axe handle off the top by DiBiase. Herc collapses to the mat. Now DiBiase looks like he get, again going for the pin. Gets two and another power out uh, kick out by Hercules. DiBiase frustrated that uh, that Herc is not staying down. Now looking to kind of 
trying to f- keep the momentum going, send him up for a super for a suplex where Hercules blocks it. He's now trying to looks like he's trying to get the advantage. And Herc is able to get DiBiase over for the suplex as the crowd uh, kind of starting to uh, cheer a bit. Still kind of uh, sitting on their hands a little bit. But, I mean, again, after what they just witnessed with the uh, Mega Powers, this is not hard to explain why. Um, DiBiase there with the uh, rake to the eyes to uh, kind of retake momentum. Now it looks like he's going to ram Hercules headfirst right into the buckle. Now giving him a couple of nice, uh, nice, give him a nice chop and get more momentum. And Hercules reversing the Irish whip in the other corner, but DiBiase catches him with a boot to the face. And again, her collapses to the mat. As DiBiase now again in full control here after the, uh, after the slow start, he kind of got hoisting up up for a nice backbreaker. DiBiase now in full control again, going for the pin two and another power kick out by Hercules. DiBiase now really frustrated, yelling at uh, referee Joey Morella, um, wondering how he didn't get the three. And, of course, uh, Vince and Jesse here still talking a lot about what happened with Hogan and Savage. Um, not really. I mean, they're they're talking about the match, but they're not um, talking too much about it. So Herc blocks a uh, ram to the buckle. He now sends DiBiase's face into the buckle as he looks to try to get a little uh, momentum going. And now repeatedly ramming DiBiase's face into the top buckle. As the crowd is starting to get uh, get hyped up here, kind of getting behind Hercules, you know, but like I said, they've been kind of sitting on their hands for a little bit, but now they're trying to get back into it. Irish whip by Herc, and a big time power slam by the mighty Hercules. He is now back in full control. He is uh, starting to get the uh, crowd riled up here. Looks like he might uh, be thinking about uh, going for the full Nelson. But first, uh, DiBiase to his feet here, and uh, and oh, DiBiase sending him right into the buckle. I don't know if he was trying for like a knee lift or a clothesline, but it didn't matter because DiBiase sidestepped him and sent him into the uh, in the corner there. Now uh, Virgil uh, looks like Virgil now getting on the apron. He just grabbed the chain, and now Virgil looks like he's uh, tying the chain around the top turnbuckle, which is. Uh, and now, well, DiBiase pounded on him, and now the uh, DiBiase sees it, but the ref sees it too. Um, now Virgil, of course, trying to get the referee to give his referee's attention to get away from it. Now Vir- uh, DiBiase looks like he's going to finish Herc off, but instead it is Hercules sending DiBiase face first into the chain. But it's still not enough to get the count, to get the three. You know, give DiBiase credit. You know, he took that chain right to the face, but he's able to, uh, to escape. Begged out there for a minute, but uh, Hercules uh, kicks him, and again, well, this time the uh, the chain kind of falling off the top buckle, so it's not uh, didn't get all the uh, get everything that he wanted out of it. As uh, Virgil is again on the apron, distracted ref, and now Hercules has DiBiase up in the torture rack, trying to uh, get DiBiase to um to submit. And now the referee goes went for the chain, but now Virgil pulling at Hercules's tights. And causing Hercules to lose uh, lose his grip. DiBiase now rolling over Hercules with a handful of tights. And he gets the three. So Virgil again paying uh, dividends here for DiBiase. Helping him get the win over Hercules. And Hercules now is not going to let DiBiase um, enjoy. Kicks him down. Big time slam. And now Hercules looks like he was... Uh, looked like he was looking for the chain. Um... Yeah, that's what he's doing. Virgil now trying to get um, 
get DiBiase out of there. Hercules goes outside, gets the chain, brings it in, but DiBiase is able to uh, get pulled out of there by Virgil. And and Ted DiBiase defeats Hercules here at the main event. Um, with a little assist again from Virgil, and we'll just kind of go ahead and just since there are about, since there is about uh about three and a half minutes left, we'll go ahead and um just kind of keep going here. So now we're back in the first aid room. Uh, mean Gene is there. You see again, DB uh, Hogan is being tended to by the doctor and by Brutus Beefcake. Um, Gene now trying to uh, Gene trying to look like he's trying to talk to him, but. Uh, doesn't look like he's going to. And Hogan with the uh, ice pack on his face, um, kind of to the side, because he did take the um, he took the belt right to the side of the face. And now, uh, now Hogan looks like he's <laughs> definitely trying to. He looks like he's getting uh, get himself a little uh, worked up here. He's saying, you know, about how, uh, you know, he's because uh, Savage had called and said he was jealous of him, you know, saying that he wanted, you know, he was, you know, he took, he, you know, didn't want to uh, face him like a man. And of course, and of course, the big one he thought, you know, he said Hogan was lusting after Elizabeth. Um, of course, led to the breakup there as uh, Hogan's trying to uh, get back together. And now he's uh, going off yelling for Savage. And as we're going to uh, get our last, um, now get our last break here. And like I said, we'll just kind of stick with this, kind of close things out. We get another shot here of the of the Bradley Center, and Vince and Jesse now, of course, kind of recapping what just happened, and Savage reminding us that Sav uh, Jesse reminded us that Savage is the WWF champion. He doesn't take a backseat to anybody. Of course, Vince trying to say that you know Savage has never asked to take a backseat. Jesse saying Hogan got everything he asked for, for just Vince trying again try to up, you know, take Hogan's side here, and uh, Jesse reminding him that you know Savage that Savage was taking a beating by the towers while Hogan took Elizabeth to the back, and of course and Jesse now saying as well that uh, you know he saw it the whole time that Hogan Hogan was lusting for Elizabeth, and you know using that friendship with us uh, with Savage to get closer to her. And now we are uh, we're backstage again here as as uh, Hogan looking backstage for Savage, <laughs> tearing because kind of tearing stuff apart, throwing stuff down, looking all around here for um, for Savage. And now he's just found a uh, he's found Jim Neidhart, kind of going you know yelling at him. There's, there's Shawn Michaels <laughs> again. Hogan's kind of throwing him away. And now Bret Hart, and again, Savage, uh, Hogan grabbing at him, yelling for Savage, <laughs> kind of a, uh, now there's Marty, and uh, there's like a young agent there, and again, kind of weird again, Hogan kind of yelling at the Rockers and the Hart Foundation about where Savage is, and Hogan is just absolutely livid, he is uh, looking backstage, and now we get our, uh, now we're about to get the credits here, as this is how we will close out the show with Hogan on the hunt for the Macho Man. So that, of course, will officially wrap up Saturday night's main event. I mean, sorry, the main event, uh, number two here, of course. Um, in regards to the Herc DiBiase match, it was uh, it's okay. I gave it like two and a quarter. It was a decent little match. Um, kind of brings it into that feud. Um, gets both guys off on different directions. And, I mean, again, it was just kind of a match to just throw the sh to kind of close things out here and to kind of fill out fill out the show because it was all about the mega powers and their explosion and now like i said we are hot and heavy on the road to wrestlemania 5 where we will see the uh final um showdown between hulk hogan and randy savage but we have still have a ways to get there so um 
that's going to wrap it up here for actually for not just for me, but for this episode of uh, Chronoso. Um, talked a lot of good stuff here. Uh, you can find me on, on my usual shows on the PTP pop, uh, pop feed, the wrestling feed. Um, and of course, um, at the PTP Facebook group where the great song of the 2000s tournament is just about to wind down. We're getting down to the nitty gritty. So please be sure to follow along with that if you can. Um, with that said, I am Steve Riddle. Thank you again for joining me here on, for the conclusion of the main event two here on Cronoso. All right. That's it for this episode of Cronoso. Thank you to all 12 contributors. This episode we will be back in a few weeks with episode 19, same flavor. A potpourri episode of Cronoso. Alright guys, for now, let's take it higher as we roll. Check it out. Guys.